The world is full of podcasts. Magic is waiting in weekly episodes. And monsters might be danger or a friend in a fight. But if you love a good crossover. The adventures are just getting started. Are you ready to meet some new friends along the way? This is the Storyteller Squad Expanded Universe. Hello, adventurers. Welcome back to the Storyteller Squad. Thanks for joining us for more Monster of the Week. Before we begin, let's check in with our heroes, my lovely guests from Trials of the Apocalypse. Hello, I'm David, and I'm playing Larry the Searcher. Hi, my name is Emma, and I am playing Peppermint Mocha the Hex. I'm Pat, or Patty if you're nasty, and I will be playing 5L3DG3 or Sledge the Talisman. Hi, I'm Jell, and I will be playing Asa the Divine. And I'm Natalie, and I'll be your keeper of monsters and mysteries. Let's have an adventure. We begin, our camera moving through the busy neighborhoods and bustling activities of Kansas City. As our camera slows its opening pass, we arrive outside a coffee shop with a charming sign that reads in gold letters, Witches Brew, Charms and Coffee. And as we pass into this cafe, we see a television mounted above the counter where a news report is in the midst of a broadcast. A large area of land near Kansas City has collapsed, damaging private property and public infrastructure. Local authorities have restricted access to the collapse site while cleanup efforts are underway. The city council has requested a public report from the local community of dwarves who have recently come forward about their presence beneath the city. We turn now to the press conference where Dwarven Foremaster Deacon McCoon spoke earlier today. The camera shifts, we see lots of photographers and reporters, mics held up towards a podium where a dwarven man walks up to the podium. Uh, we see that he is carrying a crate on his back, which he unslings and sets down and then climbs up onto so that he can actually reach the mic. He brings his own soapbox. Yes. <laughs> and as he addresses the crowd, he says, Right, well, uh, I'm Deacon McCoon, foremaster for the dwarves of Shelterstone. We dwarves have existed quietly beneath your cities for centuries. And now, just because you finally remember that we exist, you point your fingers at us every time these collapse disasters happen. But we're not the ones setting off charges in the earth like that's a bloody great idea. Fracking? You're all fracking insane if you think that's gonna end well. Now- And the footage cuts back to the reporter. We uh, unfortunately have to cut due to the level of profanity that ensued afterwards. Tensions between Shelterstone and Kansas City residents have reached an all-time high, but city officials urge everyone to submit complaints and grievances to the proper authorities and to keep the peace with our new, or rather, our recently revealed subterranean neighbors. And 
the report shifts, we get a weather report, something, something. But we pan away from this report about a sinkhole collapse to a young barista working this coffee shop counter. Pepper, can you describe your character? Pepper is young, 23, 24. She is dressed in clothes that make you think about what the Victorian era would have been like without the Victorian values. Corset situation going on, uh, ruffly shirt and a skirt that is just on the line of being appropriate for a workplace. (laughs) And thigh high boots, of course, with like stars and planets and stuff all over them in a very celestial style. Mm -hmm. She is simultaneously stirring a cup of coffee, getting the syrups mixed in, and pouring some water over some loose leaf uh, oolong tea as she's only kind of paying attention to that and only kind of paying attention to the TV at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can see in your coffee shop, there are a few dwarves here who are on their break or who have come this morning before their shift starts in the underground settlement where they live. And now I will describe what dwarves look like in this universe. Uh, dwarves in our world are hairy creatures, as most dwarves in fiction are depicted, but these dwarves has very large saucer-like eyes, dark and reflective, and they peer out of just a mass of hair and fur, almost cousin it if they didn't have glasses, though wearing clothes, jumpsuits of denim with tool belts around their waist and that kind of thing, and little dark fingers peeking out from the furred knuckles of their hands as they sip coffee or lattes. And they do appear to have beards, that sort of are part of this hairy exterior of theirs. Uh, Some are braided, some are left wild and frizzy and unkempt, but they lack sort of any other facial feature. And when they speak, it just sort of makes the hair around their mouth move and rustle. You can see strapped to some of their tool belts are what look like breathing masks which when they come in sometimes, they'll take them off. But as they're walking, you'll note that these masks are what appear to have given rise to the legend that dwarves have very large noses. Ah. Oh, I like that. It turns out dwarves are very safety conscious when it comes to their work environments. (laughs) I love that. So these are like some really furry guys. Oh yeah. Dwarves in this world are based on Momo, the Missouri monster. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, this is very, very sort of cute, but I suppose intimidating if you saw enough of them in the dark sometime. But that's dwarves. Um, And also sitting here at the coffee shop is a friend of yours, Pepper. Jill, could you describe Asa for us? Yeah, so... um, And where are you sitting? I want to know. Oh, that's a great question. I think Asa is sitting at a table by themselves next to the board game wall. People watching. They are... Normal height, mostly gray skin, long pointed ears, and uh, some bright yellow eyes and bright yellow facial markings that are reminiscent of lightning. Their hair is mostly sort of a medium length black, but with a big lightning shaped spike at the front that you can't tell if it's like been styled that way or if it somehow just sits like that naturally. They have on one of their ears some golden jewelry that has a lightning bolt dangling from it. And they have fey wings 
that don't appear to actually be physically connected, but are certainly theirs. For our listeners, Asa is a folk, our version of fae and other humanoid supernatural creatures, as are the dwarves, uh, just different variations of the folk collectively. But yeah, you you see the dwarves sitting at the table, maybe a couple over from you, Asa, grumbling as they hear the report on the TV, even though the reporter's doing their best to remain neutral and only deliver uh, the news versus putting a, a slant on it one direction or another. And they get up, they take their shovels and their pickaxes out, and they all wait on the corner for a moment. And a herd of sheep just sort of come around the corner. They're all wearing little saddles and they have little bags on them. (laughs) And the dwarves pick a sheep, hop on, and they all ride off back towards the entrance to the the settlement and the mine, as it's called by folks in town. Yeah, what do you guys do? Do you talk now that the shop is kind of a little more empty? Uh, I will bring the pot of tea over to Asa um, and get a deck of cards out from the board game shelf. Uh, and I'll sit down and start dealing both of us some cards. What's the game today? Well, I don't know anything other than Go Fish, so we're playing Go Fish. Haven't I taught you something else besides that? You've tried. You got any sevens? Um, yeah, I got a seven. Ah, so you hear in your mind, speaking from the backpack you carry around, you hear the voice of your other companion, and she says, What sort of witch doesn't know Jin Rami? Or cribbage. <laughs> That's a great point. Do you say that out loud or do you just... Oh, yeah. No, I totally reply out loud. Um, <laughs> What's a great point? I don't know if you would want to know. Oh, what was my hammer's name again? What did we decide her name was? Brigid. Brigid the Tempered. Brigid the Tempered, yes. Just Brigid being sassy per usual. And she'll just nod. We get a little x-ray cross view of the backpack where we see this ornate you know, carved and and decorative battle hammer as a little spark of electricity starts at the head of the hammer, wraps up the handle, and will come out and just sort of like poke you between the shoulder blades, Asa. Hey! (laughs) Was that really necessary? Hey, if you're giving me lip, I'm going to give you a lip right back. Well, now I've made her mad. (laughs) (laughs) Pepper has a finger in her ear, wiggling it around like, yeah, I almost heard that one. <laughs> Pepper, you're you're familiar with sort of a matronly figure in your life pestering you as Asa has with their hammer because you get a text message and uh, it's from a familiar contact within your phone. It's your mentor. Her name is Nana Margie. She's the Boston-based Baba Yaga character. <laughs> what would you have her down in your phone as? Oh, boy. I'm, I'm about to make a decision. It's going to be one that I might I might end up regretting later. She's in my phone as Margie Sensei. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so you get this text from Margie Sensei that just says... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. It says, um, just so you know, payment's due this week. Last class wasn't free, as usual. Don't want to run out of your grace period, kid. <laughs> I'll respond back. So me painting your entire fence and doing all of your dishes, that was all part of the training I have to pay for. She says, what, did you not pay attention when I brought you over here with a teleport circle? Was my causing the dishes to lift not an adequate lesson in telekinesis? Or perhaps yet again, you failed to make a connection with your familiar the way I have with Blueberry. (laughs) I'm just going to put my phone back in my pocket. (laughs) 
<laughs> Silence put in pocket. Well, I imagine that there's probably a few more texts coming, so I'm just going to let them all roll in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leaving Margie Sensei on red. So as your phone silently blows up in your pocket, you do notice a little tap at the door, um, like someone knocking. I'll go look uh, who's there. Very quickly, when uh, when Pepper gets up, Asa grabs her cards and looks through them and like switches a few around. <laughs> Delightful. Yeah, you get up and go to the the front door of the coffee shop. You see that there is one of those sheep with the little saddle at the door, nudging the door handle with its little snoot. I'll like stand in the doorway looking down at it. Hi. Man. Little bell around their neck rings. Kind of shake their head a little bit. You can see out of the corner of their mouth is like an envelope they're kind of chewing on, but it has pepper written on it. I'll reach down slowly and be like, can I have that? You're able to take it easily enough. Okay. <laughs> it's just a little wet in one corner. Okay. <laughs> Maybe missing the return address. I'll give the sheep a little pat on the head. It, it just sort of stands there looking at you. Are you expecting a tip? Me. Do you take PayPal? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much in the way of liquid funds right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of stands there. I'll dig in my pocket for anything that might be in there and I pull out like two dimes and like a fortune from a fortune cookie. <laughs> mm-hmm. It does have a little leather satchel on its collar with the bell. So you could open that up and put them in there if you wanted to. Sure. Okay. It kind of mills about on the sidewalk a little bit, but it, it, it's not leaving your shop. Okay. I'll kind of like side eye it as I come back in and I open the letter. Your letter is from your friend from town, <laughs> the person who often supplies you with the things you need to... Uh, I don't, is, is weed legal in Kansas City? Am I going to incriminate anyone? No, no, no. no, you're good. It is. Perfect. Uh, yeah, in, in Kansas City, Missouri, it is. And this is all happening on the Missouri side, so. This is a, a letter from your, your weed guy, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pepper. Things are a little crazy in Shelterstone right now. All that cave-in stuff has everybody on edge. I feel like I'm going to need a little bit of help with this one. Could you come down to the settlement today and help me poke around a little bit? Larry. I'll stare at that for a minute, fold it up and call out, Hey Asa, you feel like going mining today? Um, I hadn't planned to. But... Rhetorical question. Oh, so you're going mining and you're inviting me. Is that what's going on? Yes. Sure. Why the heck not? I will close up the shop close up witch's brew and the sheep is still there kind of looking at you and you remember now that this is actually the easiest and fastest way to get to the dwarven settlement is to take a uber ah i see <laughs> i see see so you can hop on top of the sheep and it will take you where you need to go listen we've done a lot of dumb jokes on toda but i think uber takes the cake <laughs> See, you're saying you're saying dumb jokes. What I'm hearing right now is the future of public transportation in Kansas mm -hmm. City. You tell me an adorable little lamb comes up to your door and says, like, ride me to where you're going. And you're not like I put infinite more trust in any stranger sheep than I do in any random car I get into. <laughs> <laughs> and these are dwarven sheep. They're big. That's right. Mm -hmm. And stacky. Uh, yeah, we will ride the Uber to wherever it's supposed to take us. Okay. So the sheep trots along. Do you bring anything else with you? you have like special equipment or spells you want to pack with you? Yeah, I will definitely bring the stuff that I would usually bring that helps with that. I have like a, 
a bag of, I don't want to use the word spell components, but... Ingredients. Ingredients. Um, I bring uh, the most recent order of gummies that Larry ordered because I was supposed to drop those off later today. Anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Do you have a hat? Yeah. Do you have like a little witch hat you can wing? Absolutely have a hat. It's a blue witch's hat. I have one downstairs. Cute. You guys eventually arrive at the entrance to Subtropolis, the world's largest underground business complex right here in Kansas City. It's real. It's true. And... There is, you know, regular traffic, although it's not super, super busy, but there are trucks coming in and out of this passageway that leads underground to what are big caverns with these limestone columns supporting the roof, but it's really just carved into the rock. And the the sheep who has a little like name tag pinned to her ear and it says like Dolores or something, you know, some sheep name. <laughs> and she follows a little like marked path that has like hoof prints in it, the way you would have like arrows for cars to follow. And so she just clops along following the little hoof marks on this one lane that's kind of smaller than the rest of the the lanes of traffic down here. And eventually as she's walking, the columns, which are normally just these undecorated, you know, stone columns, begin to have carvings in them. And at first it's just some geometric shapes. You might think, oh, graffiti. Then it gets a little more intricate and you're like, wow, somebody really spent a long time. And then it gets into the zone where the columns become edifices depicting dwarven heroes in armor and carrying large weapons or tools for digging and mining or smithing. You guys start to move into the dwarven section of this underground complex. We are going to cut over to our other two characters uh, and check in with Larry. Larry, could you describe your character? Larry, Stellar Starsguard, uh, he he has quite the friendly face. He's quick to smile, quick to laugh, and uh, every garment that Larry is wearing, except for his beat-up jeans, is made of hemp. Uh, his, he's wearing a hemp beanie. He's got a, a hemp hoodie that he's wearing sort of moccasin-type shoes that are also made out of hemp. All of them have the colored striations uh, associated with exactly what you're thinking of right now. So is he like a rainbow burlap bag? (laughs) Yeah. He's got one of those faces where uh, you're not sure looking at him whether he's like 25 or 45, but he's probably one of them. Mm -hmm. The gayest sack of potatoes. That's so incredible. Rainbow burlap was definitely the name of my band. Notably, in addition to his uh, burlap bag edifice, he also has uh, around his neck on a lanyard uh, a really nice set of binoculars. And on that same lanyard, lanyard. <laughs> okay, no, the lanyard is now made of the sheep's wool. That's a, it's a lamb. No, 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 no. The Ubers didn't have ear tags with their names on them. They're wearing they lanyards. They have lanyards. Ah, oh, okay, that's good. Yeah, I have a lanyard as well which has embroidered on it uh, my name, Stellar, and then like with like a sticky note on it that on the quote says Larry. And yeah, also on the lanyard next to the binoculars, uh, on the same like little carabiner keyring is a oversized with a massive lens camera. And then next to that is like a shotgun microphone. And like all of this is just like dangling around his neck. He has all of his searcher type tools just like there handy. So like at a moment's notice, he can record something. At a moment's notice, he could take a picture. And at a moment's notice, he could trip into a puddle and ruin all of them. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's it's like, 
I want to say thousands, but everything or everything he has, he got secondhand at a garage sale. So it's like dozens of dollars worth of <laughs> equipment. <laughs> <laughs> and underneath one of his arms, he has a, a notebook as well. And he's kind of tapping his pencil against it when the Uber rolls up. They're not there yet because you're actually seated in the driver's position of a forklift. Although you're not driving the forklift. 5L3DG3, could you describe yourself for us? I would love to. (laughs) 5L3DG3 or Sledge is a, a, a picture of forklift. Yep, you got it. That's it. <laughs> you seen a forklift before? You seen this one? What color are they? Bright yellow? Does he have a friendly face? <laughs> Sledge is friend shaped. Uh, <laughs> if if your friends are all forklift. forklift? Holy shit. They forklift you up. I mean, I love the idea of just like a paper plate with a smiley face drawn on it stapled to the front of this forklift. Yes! <laughs> Holy shit. Anyway, sorry. Please talk to us, Pat. Tell us about Sledge. So Sledge Sledge is, for the most part, or they, it's, man, pronouns are weird when you're a sentient forklift, aren't they? <laughs> What is your gender, Sledge? Um, heavy machinery? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I have non-binary written down. Yeah, but what's in your pants? Hydraulics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I also have under non, non-binary, it just says a sledgehammer jammed in a forklift gearbox. So <laughs> It sort of is a they situation in the sense of plural because there is the forklift and also the sledgehammer. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get the details on that. So they are like a reddish orange forklift with bright red forks and then a black sort of cagey top where it's got the like diamond lattice see-through type thing that you can see uh, through if you're sitting inside, but like a plexiglass screen in the front to simulate a windshield. And then uh, there's a big scratch on the, let's call it the passenger side, uh, because I don't know how else you would describe it on a forklift. Inside where the gear shift should be to like switch it from drive, park, neutral is just a sledgehammer just jammed in there. The hammer side inside the actual gearbox with the handle coming out. Can I tell you guys a really stupid thought I had while you were describing that? Yes. You said that the hammer side is what's jammed in, and my my brain went, but then how can he see? <laughs> As if the head of the hammer is where the eyes are. This is definitely a question you've asked him, or it's a question you should ask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While in forklift form, he sees through the headlights of the forklift, obviously. 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 But yeah, so Larry and Sledge, you guys are driving throughout Shelterstone, which is this expansive dwarven village just here underneath Kansas City. And, you know, the the buildings, some of them are built into these columns uh, that rise up. And, you know, the cavern sort of dips lower to create uh, an open air kind of space here but the columns still need to rise from whatever base level up to the top to support the above 
section of limestone. So some of these columns are very wide and actually serve as like apartment buildings with multiple levels and little patios and things built into them or carved out of the stone. Little market places are set up. There is some wood building down here or like wood additions to uh, stone base architecture. And lots of sheep and goats just sort of pulling carts and things down here. There's moss gardens and little areas where these like bioluminescent beetles sort of flit about providing UV for the grass that they have to grow to herd their sheep and goats on. Yeah, it's just this bustling little dwarven city and there's all sorts of hammering sounds and chipping away as people are constantly decorating and redecorating the stone, recarving things, carving a new section of the, you know, market district or expanding, you know, living quarters in one chapter of the city. But mostly you are going around and asking people if they know anything or have concerns about these cave-ins and the rumblings that have been going on here under the ground. And again, the most recent large one, which caused a collapse above the surface, as you are meant to basically report your findings to the foremaster and give sort of a, a report of how, how the settlement and operations are doing down here. You can talk to each other, you can talk to some dwarf, let me know what you want to do. So I had a plan for Warhammer this Saturday, right? I'm thinking our execution to defeat the giant is you flank on the left, I flank on the right, and Tommy goes right down the middle and we just like... With that new big-ass gun he got. There aren't guns in Warhammer. I'm pretty sure there's guns in Warhammer. There's totally guns in Warhammer. They're space marines. They have guns. It's 30,000 years in the future, baby. Pat, have you ever actually played Warhammer? <laughs> no, I've never played Warhammer. Warhammer was David's idea. And before you just call me out, David also has never played Warhammer. <laughs> I think of Stellar as the kind of person who plays Warhammer, but I myself have not. He loves painting the mini. That makes sense. Uh, and if you if you have armies, if you have Warhammer armies and you don't play with them, that's just sad. As someone who knows people who do play Warhammer, it's not sad, it's reality. Sometimes reality can be sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's what I think. Stellar plays Warhammer. Uh, he doesn't actually know how to play Warhammer <laughs> or any of the lore. Okay. Someone got him into the mini painting at some point. I, I think he's like, nodding and is like, yeah, yeah, no, uh, through the middle sounds great. Uh, he's got like that, that new set for his army, right? They've got like the shoulder mounted. Uh, I was really interested in getting into some of those artillery pieces, getting some from my collection, but no, yeah, that's plan sounds great. Uh, and like he idly turns his head outside of, I think when he's talking to Sledge, he just kind of like faces the gear shift. <laughs> Sledge and, and, and Stellar don't always have a clear relationship on who's supposed to be driving. Sure. Like, cause sure, Sledge sure. can, but he can also let Stellar do it. And Stellar can, but also like Sledge is capable of just driving himself. Uh, and so it's not always clear who's doing that. And so in classic, not being a great driver, Stellar kind of looks and talks to Sledge as the hammer instead of the vehicle itself. Mm -hmm. And he casts a glance outside and he's like, oh, uh, and he like taps the dash. Uh, Cause I, I'm assuming Sledge is driving right now, you know, kind of asks for him to stop. Uh, I think there's maybe some dwarves here that he's interested in asking a quick question to. Cause like they're on this mission, but they're also having this side conversation. 
hook me up with some some dwarves, maybe. We can say you're like headed towards one of the construction sites, maybe, because you know people have been going missing. You know, there's there's dwarven workers that have just like not shown up for their shift, and people are like, what the heck is going on? Why is so and so late to work? They're never late. Dwarves are very fastidious and and you know responsible beings. Well, not to mention it's bad for production. It's bad for production. So you're coming along, and you see these dwarves who also have other forklifts. They're using to like lift a large section of stone to try and slot it into place. So yeah, but it looks like they're struggling and like they're gonna like burn out the hydraulics on their non-sentient possessed uh, forklifts if they don't get an assistance pretty quick. I think we'll pull up and I'll step out of the forklift and tap on the side. Uh, you wanna help them uh, with this? I'll, I'll like try to chat with someone real quick. You're just gonna leave me to do all the work again? Bro, you know that I'm not forklift certified. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was going to ask, and I'm glad we got an answer. What if Sledge isn't forklift certified? (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, we had that debate with the foreman once, and it turns out that if you yourself are a forklift, you don't require certification. There you go. I opted out. Okay, but if you are driving the forklift that is possessed, I'm pretty sure you still need certification. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) This is why Sledge drives. <laughs> because you literally can't. Yeah, Larry definitely does not drive. We know that Larry was sitting on the passenger side of the forklift. That's right. That's right. Every side's the passenger side when the forklift is driving itself. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try, while Sledge is assisting uh, with this lift op- operation they're doing, sure. I'm going to hop out and I'm going to try to talk to whatever dwarf. Because like, usually if you have a big op that's like multiple forklifts like this, somebody's like watching to like negotiate and make sure people are moving the right way. Yeah, there's like eight dwarves just standing around like sort of leaning perfect, on things perfect. or talking. You know, it's just the way things like that get done. You have to have people doing the work and then people sort of watching the work get done in order for it to happen. Yeah, uh, I'm going to whip out uh, from my my little, my lanyard. Uh, my my lanyard. Uh, I'm gonna whip out my shotgun mic uh, connected to a little audio recorder, and I'm gonna go over to these doors. And like I'm holding that in the same hand as my notebook that I'm also writing it. it this is not good audio. And I'm just gonna be like, so about those dwarves that the aliens are taking, right? Can you tell me more about like if they saw any particular craft coming through the tunnels, or are they like, are they able to phase through the columns? Like, what have you seen? <laughs> this dwarf woman who's sort of overseeing this current thing, she's shouting things like, now watch it there. You don't want to get under your foot. No, don't don't grab it like that. You're going to regret it. OK. All right. Yeah, I know you're being safe. Hang on one second. Uh, she <laughs> turns back. <laughs> uh, and so she says, aliens? Oh, honey, uh, you've been watching too many of those cartoons, haven't you? Oh, no, no. I, I mean... Maybe to you, they don't seem like aliens, but like little green men. Sometimes they're gray. Sometimes they're like. We haven't had any goblins apply for a job down here in a while. They're all moving to the cities. (laughs) Let's dig into that a little bit. Like, are they moving to the cities of their own will or have the worms made their way into their brains and are convincing them to leave for the cities? Really? Mm, Investigate a mystery. (laughs) Yeah, reasonable. (laughs) <laughs> uh, which which of my stats does that rely on? That's a... Uh, That's sharp. All right. I got a plus one to that. Hey, pretty good on the dice, too. Nine on the dice, plus one, that is ten. Okay. I'll tell you this. 
When you say the worms in their brains, this dwarf woman immediately like raises an eyebrow, gets kind of like awkward and like goes to try and just like stop talking to you. Well, well, th- maybe they're not worms. Maybe they're more like caterpillars. I don't I didn't I didn't know you had like a phobia of that or Oh, uh, darn it. Um it's going to go over to the next person. This is like eight. Goes over to the next person. So anyway, like, they're like small and green and they've been kidnapping dwarves, right? Like, have you seen them? Or? <laughs> Sledge, could you act under pressure as a rumble shakes through the cavern and threatens to knock this rock pillar that the other dwarves operating their forklifts are, are lifting? This thing might lean back and crush one of the other forklifts and the dwarf uh, piloting it if you're not able to act soon. Act under pressure is tough, right? Uh, it's cool. Unless you have a thing that says roll tough for act under pressure. Uh, that is a six because I have a plus zero. <gasps> Pepper or Asa, would you like to help out as you arrive on your Uber? I'm sure both of us would like to. So um, who's in danger? Well, Sledge rolled a failure, but they're in range of uh, making it a success if someone can successfully help them out. Trying to figure out how to help out in this situation. Are there multiple dwarves that are that are like in danger of being crushed by something? Yeah, I mean, they're all rushing to try and like support. You see many dwarves that were just standing there watching the work get done immediately take into action and they start like just pushing and lifting the stone with their bare hands. You know what I might try to do is um, use one of my moves. What move? I would like to use the soothe move. When you talk to someone for a few seconds in a quiet voice, you can calm them down, blocking any panic, anger, or other negative emotions they have. This works even if the thing that freaks them out is still present as long as your voice can be heard. So I was thinking that what I could do is like just try to like, if anyone is really panicking, just try and like give them some words of encouragement and also, I don't know, maybe physically be there to like also help with holding up whatever needs to be held up. I think maybe all the dwarves are kind of panicked and but sure. your presence as another folk and like, do we discuss what type of folk Asa is? Just like, I don't know, like a pixie type creature, I guess. Kind of seems like an elemental of some sort. Right. Definitely lightning elemental to some extent because they have the the thunder hammer and the lightning aesthetic. I think showing up as this like elemental folk amongst this like village of run of the mill dwarves as they're all panicking and rushing to try to hold this thing in place. And Sledge, you can ride forward with your red lifting tines to like support and catch this stone as it begins to slide off the teeth of the other forklift. Yeah, Asa, what do you say to sort of get these dwarves to work calmly and efficiently? Asa will, I think, hop off of Dolores (laughs) and fly over to where the chaos is. Gently suggest, let us all stay calm. Let us all rely on our training and make sure that we all make it out of this in one piece. The sound of your voice is both this sort of low, calm speech, but behind it there is a rumble, not of the stone, but of a thunderclap far off in the distance. And the dwarves straighten a little bit. They dig their heels in. And other dwarves who just are in the vicinity, they're not maybe workers technically on this job, but they put down what they're doing and they rush over. And you can see this community immediately springs to life having been given this bolstering encouragement and they all eventually get this pillar 
righted and into position, and it lands with a shuddering thud. And the dust settles and a few bits of the limestone crack off and fall as gravel, but it is now safely where it's meant to be, and no dwarves have been crushed. And Pep, are you still on Dolores, can sort of trot up next to where Larry is trying to ask about aliens <laughs> to these other dwarves <laughs> who are mostly just glad that none of their friends got squished. So glad that worked. Please tell me what I walk up hearing. No, I'm, I'm not talking about, I know like the goblins have left and like, no, they're little green men. They take people it, it's a thing that happened, and like there's missing dwarves. I'm just saying the coincidences don't happen. Not underground, man. Buddy, I'm half red cap on my cousin's side of the family, and they wear all sorts of colors, not just green. I mean, historically, red caps is like their whole thing. So, like, I don't think you're going to find little green guys running around. Sometimes their cloaks are green, but that's like an elven thing they picked up a while back. <laughs> <laughs> Completely, these dwarves are missing the point. I love that. <laughs> I think Pepper's gonna roll her eyes as she as she comes over. Oh, Stellar, I've been looking for you. How about we go and talk away from these lovely people? Yeah, uh, you know, maybe this is a discussion for another time. <laughs> it's kind of sounding that way. <laughs> I would agree. And uh, you see stepping up is another young dwarven woman. You see some of the like big dwarf hair is like pulled up into a little like fluffy ponytail. But then sort of on the side are like little ribbons tied in, giving her sort of like braided or like you know, ribbon braids at the sides of her face. Even though, again, you can't see her mouth. It's just the big eyes and the hair all over the place. And she's not wearing what these other dwarves are wearing. There's no workers uniform or like the denim jumpsuits or even just like civilian clothes. This dwarf is in a very neatly trimmed and, and fitted dark suit. And she reaches in her coat and pulls out a little black badge that she flips open and she says, Agent Madame McCoon with the Eastie Agency. I'm here to talk to the foremaster and people who work for him about the uh, recent collapse. See, you were trying to chase down aliens. You should have been trying to chase down the men in black, it looks like. When they flash the badge, Larry's hands are in the air. <laughs> like, <laughs> They're not after you, Larry. Sledge, one of my abilities as the talisman is that I have a telepathic link with my partner, who is Larry. And I'm going to tell him through telepathy. Just play it cool, man. I'm trying. I'm trying so hard right now, man, but like, what if they check the trunk? My trunk? Yeah, your trunk? What trunk do you think I'm talking about? You think I have another trunk in here right now? What did you put in my trunk? Bro, I don't remember. What do you mean you don't remember? <laughs> I mean, you know how things get on the weekends? Like, I could have put anything in there. Sledge, you have full control. You could pop your trunk and eject whatever got put in there if you wanted to. <laughs> I swear to God, man, if you're using me to smuggle drugs again. Why do you think I'm so worried? I don't know what I'm using it for right now. Bro, I was, I was so blitzed. You know how sometimes the universe embraces you in a way that feels both like loving and empty at the same time? I remember when he used to embrace me like that. <laughs> Agent McCoon has walked over to you, Pepper, and she, she says, so he's having like a moment or something, it seems. But uh, do you work for the foremaster? Um, I don't, but I uh, am sometimes hired on as a 
contractor. Uh, so I was actually sort of talking to the person I thought who was going to hire me for said contract points over at Larry. So you're like a free agent witch then? Yeah, that's it. Pleasure to meet you. She puts forward a furry hand. I'll shake it. Yep. And I'm with her. This is awesome. Sludge will pipe up. And I'm with them. As far as I'm aware, they work here most of the time. Don't you, Sledge? Oh, I'm here all the time. Here all the time and nowhere else. We've been absolutely nowhere. Uh, listen, I live in this cave. You know what I'm saying? Right. Pepper just blinks slowly. <laughs> so I understand I've made you uncomfortable uh, by flashing my badge, but I am here about a mysterious collapse. So if there's anything you're worried about with the local authorities, and you shouldn't be because as far as I can tell, they've legalized what I think it is you might be worried about here. Badge? Who's uncomfortable about a badge? <laughs> Certainly not me. Yeah, you can just relax. Uh, forklift, friend. Sledge. Sledge, pleasure. Mara, you can call me Momo or Agent McCoon, whichever is easier for you to remember. I like Momo. Incredible. Yeah, if I could get the ride to uh, the foremaster, I tried checking in with the main office. They said he was out on a job. There's a thousand jobs happening here in Shelterstone. So if you know directly where he is, I, I need to speak with him. Oh, you want the foremaster? Yes. Yeah, he's out on job. Okay, so this is like this. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the 18th time a dwarf on a site of work has told them like, oh yeah, no, he's out on a job. It's like, I know, I'm, t I'm trying to find. <laughs> Agent McCoon, we will hire a Uber to take us to the foreman and then you can follow us in Sledge. Perfect. That would be wonderful. Just don't open the trunk. Wait, why did you mention the trunk, man? It's been a while since I've been home. I don't have any Uber tokens on me at the moment. It's, it's a misstep on the agency's part. I should have requested some when I got assigned, but... It's a very quick thing. They fly me out overnight, so. That's totally fine. Larry, I need a Uber token. Yeah, you ask for a Uber token and Larry digs through one of his pockets and he produces like a, a tightly wound bundle of good tasting grasses. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a baby carrot wrapped in some like sweet grass and then like a little like wheat tuft or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I yeah. love that. Yeah, he hands that to you to pay for the Uber. I'll uh, lean down in front of Dolores and hold it out to Dolores and say, I need you to take me to the foreman. <laughs> munch up the token. That was impressive. Thank you. <laughs> so they square up once they eat the token uh, and wait for you all to climb on. It doesn't seem to matter how many of you need to get on. She's big enough to carry you all. I love it. <laughs> I was about to ask. So we have like two riding in, the, in, in sledge and two riding on the U, I think, but either way, it should be fine. Yeah, Dolores will start trotting along. Again, down these, like, yellow street paint. <sighs> what am I trying to think of? It's like a bike lane, but it's got oh, sure. cheap hoof, you know, paintings on them. <laughs> it's a Uber lane. <laughs> so I've been waiting for a good moment. I realized when I described my character, I did not describe any clothing. <laughs> <laughs> I did kind of just assume that her body was, like, just... A bolt of lightning or some shit. That's okay. I didn't describe any clothing either. <laughs> <laughs> what clothes does Asa wear? I, I feel like Asa, I feel like they're wearing like a battle dress type of thing. We actually uh, look like we should actually be traveling together then probably. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I also forgot to mention that they have dark sclera as well because mm. that's pretty cool. Yeah. A little lightning warrior. <laughs> yeah. So, Dolores, how long have you been ferrying people? 
Four years, really? Wow. Sledge, are you flirting with a sheep? I'm talking with a collie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. There's a little sheep bell. Does Sledge have a horn? I'm just curious. Does Sledge have a horn and what kind of sound does it make? Of course he has a horn. He's a <laughs> forklift. <laughs> so what sound does your horn make? It goes... What sound does Sledge make when you throw it in reverse? <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Thank you. I've worked in warehouses. As they're riding along in Sledge, uh, I do have a couple of hold from my successful investigative mystery. and I think it might... Might be appropriate. Yeah, you didn't really ask them anything about what was happening or what I had them react to, so <laughs> you can ask those about something else, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I figured. Oh my god! <laughs> it was it was more. This is the energy that that Stellar brings to these conversations, <laughs> and so along the way, there's like two main investigative mystery questions. I think that he would, in the course of their conversation, uh, maybe ask uh, Agent McCoon about. Okay. What happened here? In this case, like kind of what do they think is going on or like what what was brought them here? Maybe what sort of creature is it if they have any insight? Now, of course, like for Stellar, he the whole time is like implying that it's aliens uh, or outright saying it is. But that, of course, might not be what uh, Agent McCoon thinks. So is what happened here and what kind of creature? Yeah. She says, well, given it's the first collapse in a while, near Shelterstone, and it being one of the largest dwarven settlements on the continent, the agencies dispatched me to look into it. I generally trust that, you know, the dwarves are not up to any funny business because I used to live here and I know how uh, that all usually tends to shake out. But um, as far as what's going down, uh, what sort of creature, I mean, there are all sorts of subterranean dangers that can cause collapses like that I mean but because my father made no mention of it in his address I'm a little concerned that it's something bigger that he is trying to keep quiet or that perhaps it's something that he's not aware of so when you say something bigger you're talking more like Martian war machine left beneath the earth's crust level of destruction or I'm gonna be honest I've just met you, and it's incredibly wild to me that given all that's come forwards, you know, for the mundane world in the past few years, that you're hyper fixated on something which there's no evidence for at all. You know, as far as alien life is concerned, I can't speak to that. But, you know, the existence of multi-planar beings like the folk and the demon lords becoming true, I would have figured you might have shifted your obsessions towards those things. It's admirable though, I guess, that you want to cling to hope that your thing will pan out as well. (laughs) You would think. You would think that he would have shifted focus. It's all about establishing the truth, you know? Like, I've known for far longer than the rest of the, you know, the other mortals here in this world with me who I call my brothers and sisters. You know, like, I've known what was out there and I tried to tell them and finally, you know, it's been made manifest and they've seen for themselves. But, you know, the folk... You know, our our dwarven friends down here, just the tip of the iceberg. 
the, the tip of the very large iceberg that was planted here millions of years ago by Neptonians. <laughs> Pepper looks over at Asa. She's like, I, I think I have to do it. I think I have to stop giving him any strains that have any chance of paranoia. <laughs> it's a public service thing at this point. You think that's bad? You should hear his theories about the sewers. They don't connect. <laughs> they don't go to the, they claim they go to the river. They claim they go to the source of the water. They don't. They go straight into the coffee makers. The coffee makers, yeah. I know. <laughs> that's why I don't drink coffee. I have shown him the hookups. Mm-hmm. I've given him a full tour. Yep. <laughs> Goes into the coffee. Does Kansas City have sewers? I suppose the city, they must have something yeah, like do. that. And they don't connect, apparently. Yeah. And they all the water goes into, into the sewers. the coffee makers. <laughs> right into the coffee makers. Everybody in Kansas City knows that. Why do you think they make you use filters? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Dolores and Sledge eventually bring your group further into sort of a remote dig site. Away from like the residential and town center area of Shelterstone. And you, you know, wind up having to get past a couple checkpoints with people being like, only authorized workers pass this section. And Sledge, you have a little sticker on your dash, and Larry can hold up the lamyard uh, with the clearance on it. <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody really gives you trouble, that's when Agent McCoon will flash her badge and people kind of shut up and like, I don't want attention from the feds on me, and they let you through. You come to this dig site, and you do notice that as you are approaching, sections of this tunnel have been collapsed, or there's like, openings that were definitely not created the way the dwarves create their openings because they're much rougher and rounded versus like the geometries and straight edges the dwarves tend to carve as they're digging and mining through and cleaning up uh, the passageways they create down here. And uh, you come down to this, basically the end of this tunnel area uh, where there's again these sort of luminescent beetles that are just sort of lapping at little honey sticks. Uh, on top of these orange cones providing like emergency hazard lights in the area as they pulse their little glowing abdomens every couple of seconds. Pepper is visibly entranced. Yeah, the dwarves have like light sticks and you know, other you know, corded lights and things that they're tacking into the stone here to have more permanent setup. But you see that this is less a area where things are being built or being excavated. This is a tunnel aside from the parts that I described as sort of anomalous, that already existed and ends in these large metal doors, which are creaked open slightly. Uh, and you see several dwarves, a couple with like actual weapons, like dwarven hammers similar to yours, Asa, and similar to the one shoved into Sledge's forklift body, um, standing at attention in front of these doors and a little off to the side with a, a clipboard and some notes is the foremaster of Shelterstone, Deacon McCoon. And uh, he's got a little pair of spectacles that are sort of floating in front of his big saucer eyes, but then like the, the rims of them just sort of disappear back into the hair of his face and his big beard full of many, many different braids. As you can tell he's already talking a mile a minute and shouting orders and pointing and here and there. Uh, and there's a little dwarf with a, a yellow construction hat on, taking notes and also deferring uh, orders to people. But yeah, as you ride up, uh, he's saying, It can't be helped. 
This kind of breach happens once in a great while. We'll just seal it back up, get everything locked down good and tight, and then move on. We just got the weather the season. It'll pass. So are, are both the agent and the foreman McCoons? Yeah, and you heard her mention earlier that her dad is the foreman. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. I think uh, Pepper's going to lead over to Agent McCoon and go, do we bow or what's the protocol? Well, don't do that. He'll absolutely hate it. Okay. <laughs> She'll <laughs> climb out of sledge and sort of just brusquely walk over. For Master McCoon! And he looks up from the clipboard, takes the glasses off, and says, By the stone! Matter your back! Have you finally come to your senses and quit that stupid office job? <laughs> and you see her hair, like, bristles, and she gets all, like, tight the shoulders. Oh, my God. No, Dad, I'm here because of the collapse. I'm on official agency business. And he says, Ah, agency, what are they poking their noses in our business for? They know we follow the codes. And she says, yes, but codes don't account for the new situation with, you know, the outside world. <laughs> he sees the rest of your group there. And he says, oh, do you bring a whole committee down? I've already talked to committee after committee after council. Everybody wants a word from me. Well, I get work to do. Can't you see that? And he's pointing back at the doors. Pepper has started stress petting Dolores. Just like Dolores doesn't seem bothered. Dwarves are constantly shouting and hitting things <laughs> with hammers around her. She's just sort of <laughs> chewing whatever, you know, breakfast she had. Her calm energy will help keep me calm in this tense situation. Mm -hmm. Her little, little tail wiggles back and forth. <laughs> he uh, eventually, he sees the rest of your group and he sees Larry there. Larry, did you get the statement from the other workers? Yeah, yeah, uh, boss, boss McCoon, yeah? No, I've got it all here on my recording and I noted down everything they had to say, which was mostly they didn't have anything to say. He asked them about the aliens again. <sighs> Mostly, get away from me, you weirdo. <laughs> you see he's like pinching at the bridge between his eyes. Maybe there's a nose under the hair, but you can't see that. He's just like, ah, oh, lad, you gotta stop harassing people about your theories. I'm just trying to uncover what's behind the disappearances like you asked me. And now you're telling me there's like a sinkhole too? Like Martian War Machine is seeming more likely by the day. Stellar, have you ever heard of confirmation bias? Have you heard the news, boy? There was a whole collapse. The town up top had a terrible accident. I mean, it's not our fault. It's, I mean, it's nothing to do with us. There's nothing down here collapsing that's dwarven made, I'll tell you that much. Well, then what's going on up here? You mentioned something about a, a breach? You notice the other dwarf next to him kind of <laughs> like hides behind a, a clipboard as you've like caught him uh, in a contradiction of what he said. He hears that dwarf kind of like shudder and he says, Get back to work! Keep him moving! We gotta get this sealed up! I'll go talk to the agent here! And he gives Mara sort of a sour look, big bushy eyebrows squint down over his saucer eyes. And he says, Let's go somewhere a little more private, if you don't mind. Can't be out on our dirty laundry at a dig site, can we now? No, no, this, if you hung up laundry here, it would just get dirty all over again. <laughs> it's true. An excellent point. Uh, he brusquely walks past you all, grumbling. Reporters, agents, useless PR people, what am I getting? <laughs> Sledge is going to follow closely behind Foreman and Larry. 
I told Dolores to take me to the foreman, and as far as she's aware, that's still going because I haven't gotten off of her, so... You haven't gotten off? Okay, Dolores will just sort of clop behind. So he's just gonna follow. You're just sitting cross-legged with a little teacup on top of this sheep as she walks you around down here. (laughs) Ah, so you can flit over on your little staticky fairy wings. I just look down at the sheep and I'm like, what's your day rate? A little iPhone that's like strapped to the like collar at the back turns on really briefly and just like images of like carrots and apples start scrolling by. (laughs) (laughs) We could probably work something out. The foremaster sits down in front of one of these rounded tunnels, the sort of unbuilt, uncarved, undug section of this tunnel that just goes off into darkness. There's no lights that they've set up down there. There's no seeming interest in the dwarves of exploring where this goes right now. But Deacon sits down, kind of runs a hand through his very thick head of hair uh, and waits for y'all to get situated. And he says, all right, so here's what's going on. It's worm season. I knew it. I mentioned to the brain worms. They're taking the goblins away to the cities. And now they're, uh, I don't know. What what exactly is going on, boss? Are you daft? Worms can't fit in your brain. They're great, huge beasts. What do you think made this? And he points at the giant hole in the wall of this tunnel. Is that supposed to be a secret for some reason? It's not a secret, but we can't have the people above panicking about worms when there's nothing to be done about them. There's nothing to be done about them? Why? They're coming seasonally. They happen every once in a while. Then you just, you weather the storm. Do you have cave-ins like this every year? Oh, yeah. We just build up around them. I'm going to look over at Agent McCoon. You have a cave-in, you build your house somewhere else, or you build it right back and you cross your fingers the worm doesn't come back the same path next year. I'm told you have something like this above ground. It's like a, what is it called? A hurricane. I don't know what canes are hurrying up there, but it sounds pretty similar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) Well, the thing about that is hurricanes for a while have actually been getting worse because of climate things. We're in Kansas City. We don't have to worry about hurricanes. But apparently we do need to worry about worms. You mentioned climate things and you see Mara almost like turns to you like, oh, don't get him started. And Deacon Deacon (laughs) stands up and he says, climate things? Are you telling me about climate things, girl? And he like, he pulls out like a big piece of chalk and just starts drawing on the walls. (laughs) Oh my god, David, he's you! We're gonna go into a little, like, animatic in the midst of this one shot as Deacon McCoon starts to explain uh, the purpose of the dwarves. And we see as he, like, draws little, little, like, furry silhouette outlines with eyes on them that look like tiny dwarf cave paintings, basically. He says, We dwarves are the caretakers of the earth and the land. Why do you think we build down here instead of defacing it up top? You people and your construction. And he spits like that's a swear word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, construction's the word. (laughs) Says the forklift. We dwarves, we dig, we carve. We don't construct things on top of the earth. I mean, humans, ever since you came up with the great idea of burning the dark stuff in the ground, 
where do you think that comes from? And he starts to explain that like during the celestial war between paradise and the celestials that turned on them and eventually became the demon lords of the place apart, there was a, a movement amongst the demons to sort of create necromantic creatures from things long dead in the earth's ground. They were trying to raise this like undead army and then got distracted or the ritual didn't quite take or something happened. The war ended maybe too soon. And he goes on, he says, but that foul magic, it's still down there, still waiting in the stuff that you should have left alone. But you humans started digging it up and had the great idea to burn it. And so you put together, he's saying that like fossil fuels, the reason they're so bad is because of all this malice and dark arcana that the demons poured into them trying to raise basically dinosaur zombies to fight for them. The dwarves have been working with the elves and their trees to gather that foulness from the air as you push it out for all your machines, your vehicles, your homes. The trees from the elves collect it, they condense it, and they give it to us. We bury it in our vaults, back where it belongs. You gonna get back on the worms anytime soon, Foreman? <laughs> he says, Occasionally, a worm will come by and disturb a vault. That's the breach I was talking about. But we got to keep it hush-hush, or the humans will come up with a reason to come down and burn what we've condensed again. It's no wonder the whole bloody planet's on fire when you're burning demon magic into the sky. Pepper's gonna, like, literally raise her hand. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you on the news earlier. Did you talk about this? No, I don't think the reporters are interested in that. They're just mad the house topped over or something. I say let them learn and dig something into the ground like us. Uh-huh. It's worm season. Humans have been unaware of worm season for a hundred years. At least. What am I going to do? Throw them into an even worse panic? Then they'll blame us. They'll say, why don't you do anything about the worms, dwarves? And I say, we're already saving your bloody planet. I need a t-shirt that says it's worm season with the shrug emoji on it. <laughs> it's worm season. <laughs> yeah. Well, specifically a shrugging very hairy dwarf. C correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems the amount of destruction is a lot worse than, you know, humans are used to. Are the worms angry? Well, I don't know. I haven't seen the worm precisely. It hasn't come by Shelterstone at all. So as far as I'm concerned, the humans got unlucky. But we've been weathering worm season for millennia at this point. You just go to pick up your breeches and pick up the mess they make. It's, it's only a singular worm. Oh, they don't travel in herds. They're pretty solitary creatures, yeah. And you said that it, is, it disturbed a vault. Aye. That vault smacked right into it, dove right through. What would happen if a worm, say, ended up eating some of this dark magic? You see his, his expression goes from like frustrated and like overworked to kind of stunned as like he hadn't considered that before. He says, oh, the worms don't, I mean, they just, huh. <laughs> he sits back down again with like a big heavy thump his big boots sort of kick up on the, one of the stones and uh, Agent McCoon looks to your group she says if there's a worm that got at what is stored in the vaults ah, it could become something new and terrible see that's what I was really afraid you were going to say 
that might explain the extra destruction. And when you say that, you all hear another rumble and the ground shakes around you. Oh, good. You know, a few rocks from the ceiling fall. Deacon, like, stands up and puts his big, massive hands over your group to, like, shield you in case anything were to collapse. But everything holds together. He says, I don't like the direction this is hidden, but I got to see about the breach. You can all come into the vault, I suppose, if you want. Even you, this agent, Momo says... Right, yeah, I think uh, we'll gather some evidence. Maybe we'll see what this thing's done to the containers and then maybe we can follow its trail. Should be easy enough to do that. I mean, they dig giant holes, right? So it's worm season. Let's go catch a worm. (laughs) (laughs) It's worm season. (laughs) It's worm season. Welcome to Kansas City. It's worm season. Are you ready to meet some new worms along the way? Something wicked this worm comes. Oh my, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, you guys can go over to the vault. The foremaster lets you all inside and you can see even in this metal, thickly reinforced vault, there's a hole just punched right through it uh, where the metal sort of splays out and bends and warps. And while there are a few containers of like this very dark, inky looking substance. There's a lot of smashed containers as well with dark stains on the stone floor here. And uh, and then another hole that punches out another side of the vault. Mara puts a hand up to her mouth like she's shocked at how empty this vault is. Somebody really ought to clean that up. That's a slip hazard. Do you want to clean it up, Sledge? I can't. You've got, you've probably you got like could. a mop attachment or something for your forklift. You got a little hose attachment, <laughs> a, little, a little soap dispenser. Yeah. You could spray some windshield wiper <laughs> fluid onto it. It's not a car. It doesn't have wipers. You guys can follow the trail that leads out of this vault if you'd like, or you could maybe go investigate what that big crash that you heard moments before was. Are you saying split the party? No, I'm saying you have a choice to make. I want to take a sample of the spilled dark magic because I think that that might be useful either in the tracking or in the figuring out of all of this. Okay. Um, act under pressure, Pepper. Fair enough. It's fine. This is fine. <laughs> That's a three. Oh, fine. <gasps> oh, no. Okay. Wow. <clears throat> you kneel down next to some of this spilled ichor. How were you going to collect it? Uh, I think I have like a small potion bottle or like a vial. Yeah, she's a witch. She's got like vials and shit. Mm -hmm. The classic for the modern day witch, of course, is the mason jar. So maybe I have like a little one of those. Okay. Yeah, as you unscrew the lid of this mason jar and dip it in to collect some, uh, some of it brushes onto like your knuckle, right? Because it's a little puddle. And you immediately are struck with a series of violent and disturbing visions. You see a sky on fire, pinpricks of light descending down in a massive swarm as dark shapes rise from the water to meet them and collide in these bright explosions where some of the pinpricks of light are extinguished and in other cases the dark shapes are dissipated in flashes 
and you see the earth splitting and towering pillar of smoke and flame, a dark hooded shape with two red pinpricks of eyes and many arms reaching out towards you. And when you come to, after the end of this very horrific, nightmarish experience, you are bleeding out of your nose a lot. You've collapsed. Everyone you see Pepper roll over and convulse for a while. But yeah, you wake up and you see Agent McCoon is like leaning over you with this little dwarven symbol in her hand that's glowing. And Asa, if you want to help to save your friend. Yeah. Um. Why don't you use some magic? <laughs> sure. Um, that is going to be an eight. Okay. What's the glitch? I mean, draws immediate unwelcome attention is always so interesting. It's a good way to up the drama. Good way to keep this one shot moving. <laughs> yes. Let's let's have my magic draw immediate unwelcome attention. Okay. Cool. Um. <laughs> All right. You and Agent McCoon work together. As like Pepper rolled over and like was clutching at her wrist, that dark drop that was on her finger started to expand in size and just grow and started to cover the rest of her hand and then creep down her wrist past where she was gripping at it in pain. And very quickly, the foremaster is like, everybody out, get out of the space. And uh, the two of you rush to her side and begin to try and remove this dark energy, this foul demonic presence from your friend and uh, you are able to combining your magical talents and eventually it recedes back into that little droplet that was on one knuckle and it violently flies across the room, hits a wall and splatters as if you'd thrown an entire gallon or two of paint at the wall into just black. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it, it like splatters into the shape of again, this like hooded arched back long necked creature in a hood with many, many arms. Oh God. And like not, not a perfect representation, but it clearly is approximating the image of some dark entity and then slowly begins to drip down the side of the wall. Yeah. I think Pepper sees that when she comes to and just straight up screams and points at it. Yeah. Sledge, I think it was more than just a slipping hazard. Are you just now registering that? Well, I've been, and he like points to his notebook where he has been like furiously writing this whole time. Ever since we started having the paintings on the wall by uh, the foreman, he's been furiously taking notes and he taps it a few times and says, yeah, uh, no, it sounds like this is pretty dangerous stuff. It is dangerous. That's why we lock it up. I can't believe you touched it. Aren't you the witch or something? That was coming out of the earth. And she just points at the... At the being? Yeah. And she tries, like, vaguely to give some description of what she saw of the sky on fire and the the earth parting in two. It's a combination of fascination and horror, the look that's passing across the face of, of Stellar Starsguard. As he says, What did I say? He points at the, the slowly dripping, increasingly disfigured mural of black goo on the wall and says, Martian? War machine. <laughs> we gotta stop these worms from waking up ancient technology left here by the Martians. Pepper will like look over at him explaining that. We'll look over at uh, at Mara at Momo and like with like a questioning of like, do you do you know what it is? 
please give me a better explanation than Martian warship because that will be what I have to go with otherwise. Um, I'm going to say, Asa, this is an opportunity for you to either read a bad situation or investigate a mystery. Ooh, yeah, I'll go ahead and I think I'll read a bad situation. Well, I don't know. Maybe investigate a mystery would be better. Fuck it. I'm going to investigate a mystery. Um, wow, I rolled a seven. Okay. What can it do? I want to know what can scary multi-arm long neck red eyes hooded figure do? Okay. How old do you think Asa is? That's a great question. I imagine that Asa looks like 20s, you know, to relate them to a human appearance, but like is probably much older than that. Yeah. I mean, you're an elemental. You like represent storms and lightning and... Yeah. I mean, I don't think that I'm like a major elemental or anything, but like, um, I don't know. I've probably been around, let's just say like a hundred years or so. You also, you have the, the hammer, Brigitte the Tempered. I do. Who maybe is even older than you, and you've just sort of inherited her through whatever whatever order you um, are working for in terms of the folk courts and, and warrior distribution and that sort of thing. Yeah. You get a little whisper from your backpack, and she says, That's the Lord of Rot and Unnatural Appetites, that is. That's Beelzebub. Beelzebub? Are you kidding me? You recognize that name as one of the seven demon lords. The ones who sent forces to attack a group in Atlantic City in New Jersey a year or two back now. The whole reason that magic and everything is a public-facing thing that exists in the world now is because of their actions. So as far as what can they do, that's one of the most powerful beings of evil known to exist and you gather they were maybe behind whatever originally put this, like, foulness into the remains of long-dead prehistoric creatures. Yeah. If uh, Pepper's hands weren't already shaking, they are now. Yeah, that's, um, that's Beelzebub. Okay. You may have heard of him. (laughs) Not sure if that means that he already was here or is coming back. Maybe both. Martians and demons related? question mark (laughs) buddy I'm not going to tell you you're wrong Uh, I I mean hopefully that answers the question of what can it do yeah I think so really bad shit is the answer (laughs) so baseline don't touch the dark magic yeah baseline don't touch that stuff it's bad for you it wants to consume and destroy Um, but you all start to hear a rumbling oh goody what is now emerging from one of the tunnels drawn here by the magic you performed uh, and with this like large plated carapace in front, sort of like a tunneling shovel like bony structure on the front of its face is a large worm. (laughs) It's a worm, it's a worm (laughs) in the like draconic sense of the word. Oh, W-Y-R-M-E. I was about to ask. The season of the worm. Yeah. So this huge mouth of jagged teeth. The whole thing is covered in like oil slick and dark black, crude, dripping darkness. This thing has been coated in 
whatever this foul magic is that the dwarves are stockpiling, essentially, for lack of a better term. That we're not supposed to touch. <laughs> that we're not supposed to touch. Yeah, exactly. It's like, a, it's it's a metaphor for like, what do you do with nuclear material? You just bury it. Sure. You just put it away and don't think about it. Like, no, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, I don't want to say that nuclear material is bad, but also like, it's, you know. Nuclear waste is a problem. Nuclear waste is bad. We have to store it safely. And also, even if it wasn't a metaphor for that, it's an obvious metaphor for the ways in which we are using crude oil and like... Yeah! Fossil fuel is bad, but also maybe we need to figure out how to do nuclear stuff safely and better so that we can use it in a responsible way for the planet. Hi, we like the planet on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyway, now that I'm off my green energy soapbox, a worm is here, and it's made of dark magic, and it's going to come after you all. The worm roars and bellows in the chamber. This is a small vault, so the echoing reverberations start to hit you all as well. Pepper claps her hands over her ears. Hey, guys, I found the worm. A lot of the dwarves here who are like, working to clean up and contain this like stuff into those like canisters that have these dwarven glyphs all over them that you assume help to restrain the magic and actually seal it. The scream, point, a worm! You know, they all throw their tools up in the air and start running. Uh, because again, you get the sense that the dwarves don't fight worms. They think of them as like storms, like natural things that happen. You can't stop a worm. You just have to get out of its way and clean up whatever happens afterwards. It's like dripping, oozing this stuff as it comes out of the tunnel. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's slithered forward. It sees the like dark shape that's dripping down the wall, opens its mouth and this like huge suction, like a vacuum is happening and the darkness is pulled off the wall into the worm and any loose slicks of this stuff on the ground uh, is also sort of drawn towards the worm, almost attracted like a magnet to more of its ilk. And uh, you know the, the jars of it that are sealed start to rattle and shake. I say we hire this worm for custodial duty. It's doing a great job of cleaning up. <laughs> I say that's how we defeat the monsters. We don't defeat it. We hire it as a custodian. Uh-huh. Maybe we get the dark magic off of it before we do that. Yeah, what are you going to do? Are you going to write a contract? Would that technically be making a contract with the demon lord? I don't know how that works. Yeah, I'm, I'm making <laughs> the argument that it's a bad idea. But yeah, this thing is huge and full of malice and dark, dripping magic. And uh, it looks at all of you. What do you do? One of my searcher moves is called cryptid sighting. Sure. I take note of any reports of strange creatures. And whenever I first see a new type of creature, I may immediately ask one of the investigative mystery questions. Um, So I want to ask, what can hurt this? Hmm. Obviously not dark magic. (laughs) Well, we could say that that's probably actively hurting it in one way or another, but. Yeah. Um, I think, oh boy. I don't know that you would have anything that would let you know what would hurt this yet. In the spirit of that question, it's got to be something you would have like reasonable ability to understand or know. I'll tell you this. In certain cases, maybe in like reading the dwarf dig site safety manual, you would know that worms tend to dislike bright flashes and like loud sonic things uh, because 
basically they're these subterranean beings and when they're not corrupted by this dark sludge they just dig around the earth and make tunnels and exist as these underground spirits of earth basically the dwarves maybe will sometimes set up defenses to like discourage a worm from coming through a residential area and it's through these like intermittently flashing flash bulbs or just sort of a low pulse sonic system through like speakers or whatever uh, just sort of defer the worm somewhere else okay like deer scares and that sort of thing yeah and in like not that this is a good practice, but the way that like sonic weaponry underwater is like really bad for like whales and that kind of thing. It's like a similar issue because all again, the seismic and even sonic waves just travel through the rock and they're like, pick it up. Does anyone have a lot of Dawn dish soap? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Uh, I don't even know if you know how funny that is because the vast majority of Dawn dish soap is made in Kansas City. Is it? Really? What? Yes, Procter & Gamble. <laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs> it's, it's made in their facility here in Kansas City. Wow. That's really funny. I imagine their <laughs> facility is not in the limestone caves, but I do love the idea that it is. Jill, now that you said that, now the plan that's brewing in my head is lead this worm to Procter & Gamble in Kansas City <laughs> in order to have a massive amount of Dawn dish soap clean it up. Honestly, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Except for the part where when we lead it, it has to go through a lot of... <laughs> yeah, that would destroy a lot of infrastructure. I live near there. I don't know. If... Oh, yeah. my God. Pretty sure we'd go by the cafe on the way. Wow. Natalie, you knew when you invited us that we're an unhinged group that does the weirdest solve for issues. You know... When I originally designed this one shot, I figured like, oh, maybe they'll do some like big magic with the dwarves. But no, we're going to go to a soap factory, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we don't necessarily have to lead it there if what we do is we set up a, like a teleportation circle around the worm. And we teleport it to Procter & Gamble. And then it's Procter & Gamble's problem. Now, now you say that. I don't, I mean, I assume this worm might be pretty, uh, pretty big, pretty difficult to um, draw a, a teleportation circle around. However, however, my other move that I have from my playbook is that I can, uh, I can instantly go anywhere I've visited before and I can carry one or two people with me. Okay, those are people though. What about a forklift? Can you carry a forklift? Can I carry a <laughs> forklift? What a great question. No. Whoa, 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 whoa. It, okay, if Sledge counts as a person. Of course Sledge counts as a person. What is that question? How dare you? <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> you could take Sledge with you to Procter & Gamble. You could then load up on his big tongs. Yeah, load him up with soap. You can basically be like, be right back. <laughs> and then teleport back. <laughs> Admittedly, I will have to roll twice because I, I only, I, if I'm going by myself, I don't have to roll. But if I'm bringing someone with me, I do have to roll plus weird. So could you go grab like the biggest box you can find and then come back? That's the thing. It, it won't be enough. I think we have to have like. I think, I think we do need a forklift's worth of soap. I don't even know if the soap will work to well, begin well, with. Well, 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 we, all have to, we have to like, you know, make it magic in some way. Yeah, you're a witch. Magic soap. I'm going to yes and this, but I, I have to stress, I have to stress how much danger you all are in. So if <laughs> oh, you're yeah. doing this, yeah, 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 yeah. Asa, you need to move. You need to get Sledge and you need to get them and yourself teleported to the soap factory, production plant, whatever, 
and like start on this course of action while the rest of them deal with the worm. Let's do it. I will say, as a talisman and my partner being Larry, one of the downsides and the the downside that I chose for Sledge is that he gets separation pains when away from his partner. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't specify what that is. So, Natalie, being the keeper, I believe it's up to you to determine what separation pains means. Yeah, okay. I, I also, I want to I wanna throw in the fact that if Sledge and I are alone together, that's going to be an interesting dynamic for a lot of reasons. Since I think he's an affront to nature, but I can't just kill him because, well... I'm your hammer's offspring. Right, exactly. How, how does that make my mother feel about you as a person if you think that her offspring is an affront to nature? There's a lot going on here. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> what we're gonna say. Asa, why don't you roll Angel Wings? Because this is the movie you're using. All right. To teleport you and Sledge to go gather some Dawn dish soap. Out of all of the dumbest solutions <laughs> we've ever come up with, this <laughs> may be the dumbest. As we were describing it, I was just like, it's it's the duck. It's the duck in all the Dawn commercials where it's covered in the oil and they wash the duck. And we're going to wash the duck, damn it. I'm saying it like it's going to work. We haven't done any rolls yet or anything. The fact that this was my like environmental activism episode, the fact that we're going to like clean an oil slick creature with some soap is too on the nose. I can't not allow this. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. It's perfect. All right. I'm going to roll these dice. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Um, That's a nine. Okay. Uh. And that's kind of okay. Um, I don't know if there's some way Sledge could help with my teleportation to make it a 10, because here's what happens on a seven to nine. Either you are all separated or you will all appear in the wrong place. Yeah. So I have a move. Yeah. Called double team. Hey. Mm -hmm. When helping out, roll plus charm. On a 10 plus, I can either treat their roll as a 10 plus or you know what? I'm going to pick that one if I roll a 10 plus. And then there's other ones for that, but I'm going to hope that it's a 10 plus, shall we? Okay. Emma, vouch for me. Yep, that's a 12. Hey! I have never rolled a 12 in my life. He generally rolls like shit. <laughs> and that's plus charm, which is two, so that's a 14. Okay. So, okay. Awesome. I'm going to say for this, in order to activate your teleport, you have to like, you, you know, fully come into your supernatural folk-like self and take out Brigitte the Tempered. Sure. The magic hammer that you wield in order to teleport. And so as you do, this booming voice emanates from the hammer like a crack of thunder. Uh, and she just says, Sledgehammer, Briggs, son, get your ass over here. <laughs> <laughs> And you are compelled by the call of the all-mother hammer to rush to her side, Sledge. <laughs> yes, Mama. And you come zipping over, little forklift wheels. Can I describe <laughs> something visual? 
Yeah. Because what I imagine happening is that Asa holding Brigitte aloft, like a lightning bolt swirls around Asa and Sledge, and they vanish, and a bolt of lightning travels through the tunnels to the exit out of the the mine, across the city, towards Procter & Gamble. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So dumb. So Knocks open the doors of the factory and travels right into where, like, shipping department is or whatever. There's stacks and stacks and stacks of bottles of Dawn dish soap. <laughs> now, Natalie, I ask you, yes. what does separation pains mean? <laughs> separation pains is Brigitte just berating you. She doesn't do it in front of your friend because she at least respects you enough not to embarrass you in front of Larry. She respects the bond. <laughs> but she's like, are you sure that's the chosen one for you? They're the one who's gonna wield you in battle as a mighty war. They weren't even wearing proper shoes. <laughs> it's just your mom shaming you for your choice of chosen one. <laughs> mom, he was he was able to pull me out of the forklift. I don't know what to tell you. Hey, and then he puts you right back in the forklift. A magic hammer in his hand. And he says, oh, better put that back. Shoves you right back in. Come on. I can't help what my wielder decides to use me as. He he works in the caves. He needs a forklift to help him with the workload. So, you know, I... And it's cozy. I gotta say, the forklift is pretty cozy. I can be a forklift and a hammer. <laughs> anyway, as your mom, the all-mother hammer, is chiding you for your choice of career paths... Uh, what are the rest of you doing in the vault where the worm still threatens your lives? You know, that's a good point. Well, we get soap. <laughs> they have to keep the worm at bay, I suppose. You guys are off getting soap and vanish in a thunderbolt. Now, what is everyone else doing to survive this encounter? That's a great question. Let's answer it after a quick break. <laughs> you know what? I love that idea. That's a great that's idea. A good idea. All right, bio break. <laughs> All right, quick break. Get a drink, get a snack. We'll be back in 10 or 15. Oh my God. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us in another Expanded Universe adventure. We're taking a quick little break from the action to talk about our sponsor for this series, Many Worlds Tavern. As I'm sure you've heard by now, Many Worlds Tavern is an online coffee and tea company offering a wide array of delicious and exciting flavors of coffees and teas. Whether you need a caffeinated pick-me-up before a big game night or an enchanting herbal tea to inspire your party, Many Worlds Tavern has got just what you need. My personal favorite is Sacred Spring, a fruity and spicy tea with cinnamon and plum. But a close second is Sleepy Fields, their chamomile tea. Their coffee is also really good. Okay, it's hard to pick a favorite. If you're more into coffee than tea, consider getting your hands on their flagship product, Treasured Realm. This monthly limited release features a new single-origin coffee roast, a numbered card, a limited edition sticker, a fully illustrated D&D 5e magic item, and a set of dice. They only make a thousand of these released on the first of the month, so don't miss out on the next one. You can order as a single purchase or sign up for a subscription to receive them monthly. Many Worlds Tavern is a really great company, 
Their attention to detail in all of their products, packaging, website, and in-person booths at conventions really shows their love of making high-quality coffee and teas and their love for tabletop gaming. Even if you're not a fan of coffee or tea, I'm sure someone in your life is, and these delicious and beautiful products also make a great gift. Speaking of gifts, the first 100 listeners to use code STORYTELLER will receive 10% off their purchase at Many Worlds Tavern. So go check it out. That's code STORYTELLER, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off your purchase of delicious coffee or tea. Thanks again to Many Worlds Tavern for sponsoring our Expanded Universe series. And thank you, adventurers, for listening. Now, back to the episode. We're back. A massive worm are coming at you. the three of you left. <laughs> you know, we had this whole break, and I thought about the fact that we would have to do something about it, but I didn't think about what to do. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then I I was talking to you about it, and you're like, that's fine. We'll figure it out when we sit down. <laughs> We're sitting down. Figure it out. I mean, I think the first thing I'm going to do, because... I think this is not the first time in chasing the the weird and the cryptids of this world that Stellar has been in a dangerous situation as a result of it, or certainly even like put other people in danger as a result of it. I think he's going to run over to going to run over to Pepper, especially since you only recently recovered from being unconscious and, and dealing with us, uh, and he's going to like help you to your feet and oh, you. start running basically okay. uh for the the opposite end of this vault from where the worm is are you like carrying me or are you did you help me to my feet and then like how carryable would you rate yourself i don't know i don't know what the size difference is between I mean, the two of us how strong is larry you work in a warehouse i mean yeah larry at least can do sustained 40 pound lifts every day it's in his job description <laughs> uh i i think larry is he's got one of those wiry builds where you're shocked at how much they can actually lift Mm-hmm. I think yeah, he'll he'll scoop you up and he'll at least attempt to to run away with you. Uh, <laughs> not like mm. <laughs> that's fair. To codify this, if you are trying to escape the vault, that's acting under pressure to get out of here with Pepper before the worm can come and get you. I think I'm trying to protect someone. Oh, all right, yeah, we could flavor it that way. Sure. Yeah, I'm just trying to keep her safe because like she was just knocked out by this stuff and. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get her further away from where the worm is coming in. Sure, sure, sure. That's very sweet of you. Be careful of the broken glass on the floor from where (laughs) I dropped the mason jar when I had a terrifying vision. So, yeah, I guess uh, roll plus tough. That's pretty good. That's a a 10 on the dice. And how is my tough? If I recall correctly, it's not great. Well, either way, you get an extra effect if it's already a 10. Well, (laughs) it's a 10 minus 1. So it's a 9. Oh. (laughs) Uh, Here, let me hold on. Um, I'm going to say that Deacon McCoon will help you. Okay, thanks. Larry, you succeed at a protect someone on Pepper because the foremaster, Deacon McCoon, has leapt forward. You help Pepper up, and then he comes behind and sort of hoists you by, like, the back of your hemp hoodie (laughs) and, like, the belt on your jean pants and just tosses the two of you forward. You two get a a little head start and a kick in the pants from Deacon. What's the bonus thing you're going to take? I think at the end of the day, we're going to need this thing's attention anyway. So I'm going to say all impending danger is now focused on me. Very nice. Strategically, that helps because all impending danger was about to be focused on Deacon. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, Deacon. Yeah, the the worm 
you know, is swooping down its long, massive neck, opening its jaw with the rows and rows of sharp teeth to maybe try and just swallow him whole. But what is the thing that you do to call its attention to you? I think when he throws me, I think he focuses on helping Pepper first. So like as he's in the air, he kind of like rolls around and then bounces across the, the floor further away. And when that happens, uh, his lanyard is like wedged underneath him and you know it bangs on the ground, he bangs with his elbow. And I think the flash on his camera just keeps going off. Mm. And that attracts the negative attention of the worm as it sees that. Honestly, it could be both because you have that microphone, right? Oh yeah, it could like bang like, like, and yeah, doom, doom, yeah, exactly. Like you know, high pitched mic whine happens <laughs> along with a bunch of flashes. It does kind of seem like specifically it doesn't like bright lights or like loud noises. Mm-hmm. Your cheap equipment smacking the ground and having all these technical issues with it uh, is enough to sort of jar the worm in its attack approach so that it actually rears back, which gives Deacon enough time to sort of catch up to the rest of your group. And, you know, he's shouting to the dwarves, close the doors, close the doors, as you all are starting to run towards the entrance to the vault to try and at least lock this thing in there. But yeah, the worm is deterred enough that while its tension is now focused on the escaping group, uh, it does not manage to get a, a chomp uh, on the leader of the dwarf settlement. As you all now rush out the doors, the dwarf workers slam it shut and all sorts of iron bolts and bars slam down or get pushed into place to lock this thing and seal the vault yet again, even though they know it's not a fully contained uh, space anymore. Mara will look to you, Pepper, and she holds that glowing dwarven necklace that she wears out from underneath her suit again. And she says, how's your sealing magic? Well, uh, here's hoping that it's better than it used to be. <laughs> Such a great thing to hear. <laughs> well, I'll take all the help I can get. And she runs towards the door and just sort of slams that amulet against the iron as it closes. And immediately sigils start to light on the door itself and extend out from this amulet, but they're moving kind of slow. It's, you know, it's a big door she's trying to lock with magic against the worm. So if you want to help her, you'd have to start a sealing spell yourself. Yeah. Uh, would this be under use magic as opposed to big magic? Yeah, no, this is just you're casting a spell in tandem with uh, Agent McCoon. Yeah, so I'll, I'll roll first and foremost. I think I would be working to trap the monster basically in that space or or bar this space. That's a nine plus two to weird. So that's 11. Okay, no glitch. Yeah, you and Mara together. What is your sealing spell or how do you like contribute to hers? Uh, I pull out some dried golden seal, crush it up into a powder, uh, spit on it, and then put my hands against the door. Nice. You see from her amulet, originally it had been coming out as sort of this like cool silver white kind of light. Uh, and when you put your hands on the door, a like gold pulse is sent through the door itself. And then the runes she's casting also turn this like golden color and move much quicker now and reach the edges of the vault doors and then lock there in place, almost like they'd been carved in magma, just sort of lying there atop the steel framework of this vault just in time too as there is a slam from behind on the other side of the vault doors 
and the rocks around and the vault itself kind of shifts in the earth and the dirt down here. But they hold and do not splay open the way the metal on the inside of the vault had been before. And you hear the worm again slam, just seeming to try and like single-mindedly pursue you out the way it saw you leave rather than like dip somewhere else. So you have a few moments here just to like discuss a plan or figure out what you're going to do with the dwarves gathered and the two, you know. Yeah. Pepper's going to let out a breath and then she's going to look at Larry and look at Mara. This will keep us for a minute, but we can't just let that thing run rampant in that state. Well, we certainly can't let it get towards the settlement. For sure. I think we're going to have to figure out how to purify it. You were able to take some of the stuff off of me. Hey, but that was a drop. That thing's doused in the shit. Well, we're going to have to work together. All right. She turns around and she sees that, like, Deacon is sort of leading the rest of the mining dwarves and they're just leaving. And she's like, where are you going? And he turns back and he says, it's warm season. You weather it, you don't fight against it. You might as well be slamming your own head against that door. If we leave this thing and don't do something about it, it's just going to keep coming after you guys. Mara echoes what you say, and she says, It came back. When's the last time you seen a worm do that? Deacon says, You're asking me to move a bloody mountain. You're dwarves. (laughs) Roll manipulate someone. Uh, That's a six. Oh, a six. Now, what if I what if I assist here? You could try and help out. I mean, you you do actively work with the dude. So. Yeah, he seems unsure, obviously. And I step forward and say, the worm might be a force of nature that you're accustomed to dealing with, but what it's gotten into, it got into because you had it down here. And if we don't get it off of it, I mean, this is going to turn from being a a natural disaster into just a disaster, man. An unnatural disaster. I think you're the only ones here with the expertise to handle this material. I don't think we can do this on our own. What'd you get on your help out roll? I'm about to do it. Okay. (laughs) That was me me laying the foundation. (laughs) Sure. Hey, that's good. That's a 10 plus my cool. That's an 11. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's speaking to his dwarven sense of responsibility because he made a whole big deal about how he like takes care of the world as you know, a member of the dwarven society. And I will say also like a bit of serendipity that reinforces your, your convincing argument, Stellar, is that on his hip, a little walkie-talkie goes off, and you guys can hear it because it echoes in the chamber, even above the ringing of the worm slamming into the door, and some other dwarf on the line says, Foremaster, another vault's been hit. Nearly the whole cargo's been taken. Shit. And Deacon says, When was this? That was the last rumble, though we're hearing a bunch coming from your sector of the tunnels. What's going on? Deacon looks at you all, with wide eyes, his like big bushy eyebrows no longer furrowed in a expression of like frustration, but now just like wide and panicked. And he says, he's hunting the vaults. He's trying to gather it to itself. We can't let that happen. Aye, we've been burying this stuff for generations. If it collects it all. Can we still hear the worm behind us? Uh, the worm is, is, yeah, still slamming into the things behind you. So if another vault got hit, does that mean that there's another worm? No, this is the crash earlier that we heard. Okay. 
The crash earlier that you heard, that was the worm hitting that vault. Okay, got it. You can assume that it has hit at least a few. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. I was just trying to get a sense of the actual breadth and depth of this. I was like, do we have to take on more than one dark magic worm? (laughs) Yeah. So you now know that you have to stop this thing because it will just get worse now that it is hunting this source of dark power uh, as a corrupted creature. We're probably going to need to do something magic to the dish soap because while it's good at getting off grease, it's not so great at getting off magic. You probably will, but you also don't know that that is happening technically. Asa just kind of was like, Sledge! And the two of them vanished. That's true. That's fair. (laughs) So in a weird moment where normally Asa is like your protector, they decided to protect the forklift, the inanimate sentient object instead. A wild decision, but also one that makes a lot of sense with what they are thinking. Yeah. It doesn't seem like we can really destroy this stuff going off of what happened to the dark magic coming off of my finger. It seems like it just basically gets moved around. Kind of, yeah. Like You probably could destroy it with the right combination of magic and effort. Maybe. Like, the thing is, right, the dwarves as a people have been dealing with this issue for who knows how long. And their best solution was to lock it up in underground vaults. Which has to mean that that's the most efficient and economical. Yeah, you figure if like, if it could be destroyed, it must take a lot of work or magic or effort. Whereas digging enormous subterranean vaults seemed like an easier alternative. (laughs) I mean, digging is like their whole thing though. So like- They like to dig. Well, exactly. So that means that we are going to need some sort of container for the magic once it hopefully comes off of the worm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's as far as I've gotten into the planning idea. We're going to jump over to Proctor and Gamble. Yeah. Um, not sponsored, but hey, get at me if you want to be. <laughs> Where Asa and Sledge and Brigid have appeared in a lightning bolt uh, in front of stacks and stacks and pallets and crates of dish soap. How goes collecting the dawn? <laughs> Hang on. I googled what dawn's catchphrase is, and all that has come up so far is dawn helps save wildlife. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think that might be it. That's their whole catchphrase? Yep. Oh my god. That's their hook. And you know what we're doing tonight? We're saving the wildlife! Incredible. It's hard to get wilder than a worm. Episode title. (laughs) No, the episode title is going to be It's Worm Season, and we both know it. Sledge is just going to start scooping up pallets with his forks. Mm -hmm. I have an idea. Do you think that your, your forks can carry a whole tank? A whole tank? Yeah, a whole tank of soap. Never thought about soap coming in tanks before. They they mix the ingredients together in big tanks before they fill it into the bottles. So I think we should try and just steal just steal a tank of soap. We can bring we can bring the tank back once we've emptied it. Something tells me that that's going to be over the maximum weight capacity of the forks. Imbue yourself with strength. You're a magic hammer. You're not just a, a forklift. You are the hydraulics you want to see in the world. <laughs> With a little bit of my magic and your lifting capabilities, we can do this. Believe in yourself, Sledge, you abomination. 
if there's a way that you can help out because like if you're talking like one of those giant mixers that's gonna break a forklift's form pat it might break a normal forklift driven by a human operator but you are a magically infused hammer embodying a forklift and your mother is here i can't let mama down (laughs) (laughs) i mean let's fuck around and find out what is this? Is this... Um, this will probably Excuse be... Excuse me, you need to roll pick up soap, please? <laughs> <laughs> Would this be use magic? Yeah, sure. Do one thing beyond human limitations. Yeah, there's nothing human about it. So this is plus weird. Yes. Seven. It's a mixed success. That just means there's a glitch. Hey, you know what? That could be so much worse. You just got to pick a glitch. But it happens. One of the glitches is a short duration, right? Mm-hmm. Get me the fuck out of here right now. Okay, yeah. So Sledge goes up to one of these vats of dish soap, I guess, with their red forklift tines. And through the magic of the hammer that you actually are, the whole forklift is surrounded by lightning and magical sparks. The fork tines enlarge and are able to get under the whole tank and lift it up despite the hydraulic system not being really designed to lift this kind of weight. Fuck. Normally a forklift would just kind of tip up on its front wheel or like, you know, spin around like it had no traction, but you slam into the ground with a bunch of added weight as the sound of dwarven hammers hitting steel is like imbued into the space and the vat is lifted up, torn away from whatever production line is happening here. I assume any workers at Procter & Gamble had just saw a storm elf show up with a forklift and were like, I don't work. I don't get paid enough to interfere. This is beyond my jurisdiction. <laughs> just, they just walked away. Somewhere there's a foreman at Procter & Gamble who's on the phone and is like, we have active God insurance, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, what about what about active Norse god insurance? <laughs> I interpreted that in my head not as act of god, but active god. <laughs> active god. Yeah, you know, insurance support the active god that is currently in your proctory gamble. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. So yeah, you're straining and you're being very impressive because your mom is watching and you can't look like a weak forklift in front of her. But you know that you've got to get this where it's got to go soon because... It's going to be bad otherwise, so go ahead, Asa. Yeah, I'm ready to roll, baby. We're taking our angel wings right back to where we came from. Come on, dice, don't let me down. Okay, that is an eight plus one is a nine, which is on a seven to nine, you don't quite manage it. Either you're all separated or you appear in the wrong place. Um, I'm sending Sledge to the right place. You did not determine that. No! <laughs> no, hold on. It is a nine. It's a nine. Hold on. The other benefit that I have with my partner move, Mm -hmm. so I mentioned the telekinesis already. The other is always knowing where your partner is at. Oh. Locational awareness is what it is. Okay. I know Larry's exact location always. Mm Mm-hmm. Is there something I can do to make sure that we get in the right place? I mean, you knowing where... Stellar is doesn't help with Asa getting the spell correctly. Um, I'm gonna rule that 
because you are trying to take an entire vat with you <laughs> now, along with the forklift, and even that was sort of stretching the, like, I can take up being with me with my teleportation magic a bit. I can take up to two people. Uh, yeah, up to two people, and I don't know that a vat of <laughs> soap counts as a people, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. What's gonna happen is, you disappear hammer aloft, the all-mother hammer. You appear, Asa, flash of lightning back through the town, back under into Subtropolis, through the normal mundane corridors, and then into the dwarven area, and then down the tunnel where this vault was, and you appear in a flash, ready to save the day with this vat of soap, and you look around, and Sledge is not there. But your friends all see you return. No. Now, Sledge, you appear, (laughs) bolt of lightning, it's sort of arced off, halfway through your journey back, and you appear straining and struggling and holding this vat of soap just on the edge of the dwarven city. Not quite downtown, but like much nearer the populated area than probably you would like to be. And at this point, because you chose short duration, the tines on your forklift body shrink back to their normal size and the vat kind of just slash, 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 slams into the ground. Now in place, but not in the right place. Oh, God. (laughs) So, hunters, (laughs) what are you doing? We're telepathically connected. Yeah. I see that Asa has returned, and I'm immediately reaching out and being like, You got the goods? I've got them. I'm a bit of a distance away, but I've got them. Well, we're at. We've we've got a bit of a bang, bang, bang situation here. (laughs) Please tell me that's just somebody knocking. Yeah, it's... It's the worm. Where's Sledge? So Sledge and I tried to bring back a bunch of soap. I tried to take him with me, but... It, it's okay. I think he's nearby. Where you at, bro? I'm, like, in the dwelling part. Uh, you know that place where the dwarves were headed back to because they were worried about them? Yeah, that's where he is. <laughs> with the soap? Yeah. You've got the soap, though, right? Yeah, it bent my forks, but I got it. It might actually be to our benefit to water it down. Hey, uh, boss man, do we have, like, some really long hoses? <laughs> uh, Deacon says, I'll go get the, the dwarven fire brigade on it. Even though everything down here is made to rock, we apparently have firefighters. <laughs> he runs off, shouting into a walkie-talkie, and we cut to Shelterstone, where there's a tiny, tiny office with a, a you know, a garage and a little red engine that's, like, spotless. And there's like three dwarves and suspenders sitting around a table playing cards because they never get called on. But the phone rings and it's, you know, someone from the, the four master's office. And he says, get the hoses to the edge of town. We got it. And they're like, it's today, boys. And they all put on their firefighter helmets, <laughs> dust some cobwebs off the pole before they leap down. and. <laughs> The alarm, which has never rung in the history of Shelterstone, finally goes off and they pile aboard their fire wagon, which is pulled by a bunch of goats. The dwarves care about workplace safety. They do. I mean, I could try just pushing the vat slowly. Metal on stone. Yeah. Oh my God. 
the most horrible screeching noise. My worry if you were to do that is that eventually you would puncture the tank and then there would just be soap. Not if I turn around and push it from the back. And you go beep, beep, beep. I think you should do that anyway so that it will help the fire brigade find you better. Okay, so this is what... All right, okay. Okay. I assume that we probably do we want to stay here with the worm or do we want to get to the we got to go you're like holding it back right now I'm gonna all right there's so much happening right now (laughs) for everyone at the vault there is a bursting loud noise of metal tearing uh, and a shaking of the cavern and then out of the rock to the side of the vault crashes the head of the worm as it chews and devours the stone, still dripping this dark, black, disgusting sludge uh, as it roars. And Agent McCoon says to you all, I think it's high time we get back to town. Let's figure out a plan out as we run. Yeah, run now. Dolores, let's go. Lead the way. There's an idea. Bring the worm to me. Yeah, I think that's what we're doing. (laughs) So you guys hop onto... Dolores is back and she gallops away as the worm starts to chase after you all. Sledge, you can, if you want to, rear end first, start pushing the vat as close as you can get it to where you think the fire department is going to arrive in order to make a bubbly solution. Cannot believe we found an in adventure reason for you to back up as a forklift. <laughs> that should not happen, but it did. And the best part is, it's not just that obnoxious noise, it's also the accompanying grinding of the metal grit <laughs> on yeah. the stone. Oh, it's the worst. But. Also, as an added layer of just what the hell is this game that we play, that loud noise is aggravating to the worm, and so it is attracted to that spot to try and stop it from happening. It is really tight narrative that we have managed to spin in this Monster of the Week one-shot. Unbelievable, really, that it has come to this. So at some point, I mean, it takes you a bit to run up the the corridors of the many different tunnels you took to get to that one vault location, but you, you know, managed to stay on Dolores's back. Gosh, this Uber deserves like a 10 star rating if that's even possible. She's going to get such a tip later. (laughs) For real. (laughs) But as she's running, you know, the worm is crashing and sort of side windering between the different tunnels, just destroying a lot of the infrastructure that you guys are running past. Not like proving the foreman's original stance, but sort of like reinforcing why they tend not to confront the worms because it just makes things worse. But given, you know, the even worse option, uh, yeah, Deacon has like taken Dolores's bell and is just like ringing it behind you as you all hang on to try and make more noise and get it to follow you all. I love that. I'll take my phone out and a lot of smartphones now, they'll have uh, different settings you can put your flashlight on. And uh, one of them is usually like a flashing or like an SOS thing. So I'll do that and I'll like hold it up. Cool. Yeah, no, the worm hates this and it's screaming loud subterranean roars at you as you try and escape. As you guys are escaping from the worm or leading it to where you think you're going to be able to affect it with this new idea, uh, we see Sledge eventually 
pushes this vat. Eventually, the goat-driven firefighter engine rides up, and the three dwarven firefighters hop off, and they say, oh, what are we doing? Sledge, what's the word? (laughs) They're looking to you. I mean, so I guess the worm is coming, and I was supposed to bring the soap to... (laughs) Wash the dark magic off of it, I guess. But um, the folk didn't bring me back to the right place, and now I'm here doing my best, just trying to. I have a very important question. While you're saying this, are you continuing oh, to back for up? Sure. <laughs> just, just in the background. Excellent. Okay. Or like in between beats. Yeah. Okay. So you're doing this all, and the firefighter's like, all right, all right, calm down, Sledge. There's no need to curse so much. And they, uh... <laughs> Oh, no. That was good. They hook up their, their engine to one of the hydrants. They're, like, pumping now to get the water flowing. They hook up and dump a hose into this vat of soap, and in a sort of reverse forming of a soapy bucket, they're adding water to concentrated soap to thin it out, I guess. Or maybe even to like pump it into the system. Maybe. And like mix it with the water. I don't know. They're doing something. Should we try to magic up this soap before we, before they pump it in? If you want time to do that, someone is gonna have to try and delay the worm or you're gonna have to split up and like take a shortcut or have someone else lead them, you know, another direction. I I can stop the worm. I mean, I would just teleport, but I don't think I've ever been there before. Wait, wait, I can teleport to someone I know well. Oh. I can go back to Sledge right now. Hey, that's great. Before you go, you should take Pepper with you because she can help magic the soap. Okay, so I I can try that, but last time I tried to teleport more than myself, that's how Sledge ended up over there. Yeah, but like, she's not a big vat. Well, we need Mara as well, so that means that she would be teleporting both of us. Let's not uh, push our luck, why don't the two of you go? And I'll make sure we keep this thing on the wild goose chase for a bit. Okay. You got it! Here we go! (laughs) That's another motherfucking nine. I've rolled different numbers every time to get nine, but it has been nine every time. <laughs> uh, yeah, Pepper, you're gonna need to help to get there in one go. This could be multiple things, but uh, for flavor, we'll say that like I take a small rose quartz crystal out of my bag and I clutch it in my hand as we go. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's a six. No! You all have one luck for this one shot. This is the time to use it. This is the time for the luck. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll use it. You're going to use it to get them there without the help? Yeah. I'm going to stay behind with the foreman and we're going to distract the worm. Okay. Okay. You use your luck, Asa, and you and Pepper disappear once again in a flash of lightning, tearing off down one of the tunnels. But Mara turns to you and she says, I can't be a distraction and drive. Tell you where to go. And she turns around with her like glowing dwarven amulet and it's gonna cast some kind of like flash spell to keep the worm on you all instead of chasing the lightning bolt, which is another light source. I thought Agent McCoon was going with them in the teleport and it was the foreman and I staying behind because don't we need Agent to bless the soap? Uh, no, Pepper's gonna handle it. I'm gonna handle it. Okay. So it's, it's you and Agent and also foreman McCoon on Dolores. Heck yeah. All right. You better bring Dolores back in one piece. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> reach to my hip and I'm gonna say, I only bring this out in moments of great crisis. It's my most powerful weapon. 
and I pull from my side one of those like big, long, heavy flashlights that security carry around because it's both good for for hitting people and also it has a much brighter beam than uh, the one on my camera has for for a simple flash. And I am going to direct it at the worm and I'm going to, in like Morse code bursts angled at its eyes, I'm going to ask it in Morse code if it is a Martian. (laughs) I entirely believe that your character would know Morse code. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Would Martians know Morse code? So Morse, actually, the M stands for Martian. You two aren't there. The point is... (laughs) (laughs) The point is... Larry, you start flashing the worm in the face with this flashlight, uh, which I guess means Deacon is going to be driving, quote unquote, Dolores. So he like takes a little reins and is like directing her where to go. And you guys tear off down one of these other tunnels. Asa and Pepper, you appear next to the vat and the fire brigade and sledge uh, with your blast of teleportation. What are you doing? You can see the dwarves are like draining the soap, but putting it into like the reservoir on their fire truck in order to mix it up and make a a soapy liquid. Unless you have a thing that you want to do, I have a task for you. A task? All right. I'm going to give you my ritual dagger and uh, I'm going to say, I need you to go to the top of this tank and just draw a line all around the top of the tank and bring it down to the bottom. All right. Just when I say draw a line, I need you to like carve it into the tank, not all the way through. Asa flies up and does that. You can help with spellcraft, sure. And then I'm going to set to work taking out some charcoal and putting runes on the tank around the tank. This is use magic. All right. I don't know if there's an option for like purification or I guess I'm sort of... You're almost preemptively going to try and banish a curse. Yeah. So... I'm sort of infusing banishment magic into this dish soap. And I'm rolling to help out. I would love that. You got it. I got a six. I got a seven. Plus two, so that's an eight. Okay, well, it's a nine now. Okay, you are exposed to trouble or danger, Asa. (laughs) Uh, And the the result is the same. There is a glitch. (laughs) Great! (laughs) That's fine. Could Sledge help too? I could definitely find a task for Sledge to do. Do you want to help out, Sledge? Yeah, we'll add to this that uh, you, she she does one on the top. I also need a circle on the bottom. And so you could like go around the tank. With the forks. Yeah. Yeah, try that. Uh, well, my cool is plus zero, so that's eight. Oh, baby! You are also exposed to trouble or danger, but you will add another plus one. This magic spell is coming together. Crushed up golden seal, spit into it, hold it out to Asa. They spit into it. We cut back briefly to Stellar, Agent McCoon, and Deacon McCoon riding on top of Dolores, flashing this flashlight. And at a certain point, Mara kind of yells to her dad, just says, Shouldn't we have made it to the settlement by now? And he's kind of like, I went, we're almost there. Crash, 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 worm, roar, scream, flashing at it. Another couple of minutes goes by. Almost there, you said. She's like, I know, I know. And clop, 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 Dolores' little hooves, different lights passing by, et cetera, et cetera. And another, you know, it keeps going. You're not getting any closer to the settlement. And Stella, you realize that as much as Deacon is like the foremaster, makes a lot of the decisions, 
He might not know the tunnels like perfectly by heart down here, but you do. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're the management guide down here. You might think he has gotten you lost slightly. <laughs> I, we've certainly, we have this thing's attention fully and it's not like blinking or giving me any sign that it is responding to my Morse code. Oh yeah, no, that idea was never gonna work. <laughs> well, Stellar doesn't know that. He's gotta try. This thing looks alien as fuck. I don't blame you for- It does look very alien. I'll give you that much, yeah. So I think he's gonna turn around and I'm gonna get down next to Dolores and I'm gonna reach into mm-hmm. uh, my, my pouch again and I'm gonna pull out another token, another carrot wrapped in some nice sweet grass. And you know what? I'm gonna root around in there and I'm gonna find like a, a slice or two of apple too. And I'm gonna reach around mm-hmm. and I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold those up to Dolores and I'm gonna say, take me to Sledge. Okay, you bribe the Uber and she will chomp down on the token and the apple slices and now, despite whatever Deacon is like directing her with the reins, she's ignoring that instruction and now following your request, which is to go to Sledge. Sometimes you have to ignore the boss in order to get things done. You've bought your way ahead in the queue of uh, stops on this Uber ride. And so <laughs> <laughs> Deacon gives you kind of like a knowing nod, Stellar, of like, Thanks for not outing my incompetence in front of my daughter, who I've been like on her about like not, you know, doing the job she's chosen. (laughs) You come out of a little side tunnel a little ways off, but you can see down this like cliff ridge uh, that then descends into the settlement and city area of Shelterstone, that that's where they've set the vat and the fire engine now filled with this enchanted soap liquid and uh, you start racing towards it and crash the giant dark worm of pollution and sludge busts through the stone wall and starts careening after you. But as it does, it sort of slows and glances down at the massive city of dwarven people and the you know people in the streets. Oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, everyone's freaking out and panicking. There's this large outcry of fear and terror, uh, and the worm lets out this bellowing roar that echoes and shakes the cavern. Cut to sledge. Holy eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> In time with your, like, horn going off, the fire truck, like, rings their bell, like, which is just some dwarf on like a horn making the noise. It's not like an actual Yeah, Excellent. I love it. So the, they, yeah, and the goats start to chase and meet with Dolores as you two are running together. You can all like be on top of, I guess, the fire truck. The hose is like, you know, unraveling <laughs> in place as it tries to connect engine to vat of soap. And yeah, you now have this fire truck about to engage the worm. Hose it down! Hose it down! I guess I'll roll for the fire brigade? Sure. <laughs> Let's see how they do. Okay, um, that's an 11 on the dice. Fuck yeah, dog. They may not get a lot of work, but they are very good at their job. The unsung heroes of Shelterstone, the dwarven firefighters. Uh, <laughs> We're gonna be there. singing about them tomorrow. God. I think somebody oh, yeah. deserves medals. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. All right, yeah, they just start spraying the worm with this enchanted soapy water 
in like a weird magical bubble bath situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This has got to be the dumbest thing we've ever done. What I love as well is that as the soap interacts with the ground, like when soap gets onto surfaces like that, it's very slippery. So like, I can't imagine that after this worm is like actually getting covered, that it is going anywhere. Oh yeah, no, it just writhes in place like an eel in a bucket because it can't get any traction to move. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's causing a bunch of tremors and shaking and you know, some of the pillars are cracking because of how huge this thing is, but it is just sort of writhing as it gets sprayed with the water and enchanted dish soap. Gosh, what an insane sentence to have said. (laughs) Stellar sheds a single tear. Just like the duck, man. Just like the duck. It gets better every time you say it. (laughs) I mean, this is is really giving me, like, spirited away. Like, when Chihiro washes the river spirit. Yeah, I mean, at this point, do you guys want to just, like, be on the hose with the firefighter <laughs> yeah, dwarfs? Absolutely. You have, like, yeah. a hand in, in saving the day? Like, I feel bad being like, okay, now the fire department's going to take care of it. Like, well, no, <laughs> we, 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 did, we did all the prep work. <laughs> right, we did the hard part. We deserve to be the B team. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, Pepper is probably pretty fucking exhausted from casting this big magical spell. So I think that she's hanging out. Here's what we'll say, right? Here's what we'll say. Your your banishment is starting to take hold, but you're still gonna have a worm when you're done. Like as the sludge and the dark ichor from the demon magic is being washed away and dissolved by the power of dawn and your own spellcraft. <laughs> by the power of dawn. By the power of dawn. Dawn saves wildlife. Um, but you know that this wildlife is still a threat to the city because it's a worm. Right. Uh, it's this giant ancient being of the earth. And so you're going to have to have some way of getting rid of it or doing, you know, doing something to it to make it retreat and move on past the dwarven vaults. And so, yeah, that's, I guess, like the next challenge of facing you, Pepper, is like your spell might not be done. You might need something else that you do. Do we maybe want to get the whole gang together and do some big magic? We've established it doesn't much care for particular sets of sounds. Mm-hmm. And that it, it can it can be, thinking of it still like a natural disaster, but it can be like, its course can be a little bit, you know, adjusted by things that it doesn't particularly care for. Mm-hmm. We, at least in prep leading up to this game, did discuss that Sledge does have a radio or or like cassette player or some kind of music playing system. But like that's not going to be terribly loud. Not not enough to impact uh, a worm. But if we like supercharged that shit. Amplify it. If anyone has cassettes with the kinds of noises that would bug this worm, it would probably be stellar. Be stellar. Mm-hmm. I have agree. So this is my proposal for big magic. We make noise that makes Wyrm unhappy and it go away. Yeah, I think I think that once it's no longer possessed by dark magic, it'll probably run from the scary noises instead of wanting to kill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll have had a really rough day, to be honest. It's probably ready to go somewhere else. Yeah. Seems reasonable to me. As you're watching the worm be washed away by the firefighters, you know, the the one who's like on the head of the hose directing the stream is just like, this is the best day <laughs> Well, at least we were able to provide them with that. I'm be have so song about me. <laughs> the magic you have to do was gonna involve using some of Stellar's cassettes and the many, many horrible echoey mic peaks 
that were created by trying to record in an underground cavern on a shotgun mic. <laughs> That's true. You could probably just play back the stuff that you recorded earlier today. Yeah. How do you like my mixtape? Somebody once told me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, here's Wormderwall. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Push this cassette in. Push this cassette in. Now Sledge, <laughs> this is alright, so you're gonna Okay. Jesus. Um <laughs> <laughs> This is so perfectly stupid. I uh Okay. I don't even know who to ask for a roll here. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to roll use magic. Yeah, roll use magic. If you need help, somebody can probably provide it. Yep. That's a nine. Hey. Hey. Okay. Get a little help and that'd make it better. Hold on. You said we each have a point of luck? You do. You could do your luck. Well, what happens if I use my luck? Whenever the talisman spins luck, something happens to force them to once again question whether they are an object or a person. <laughs> oh, boy. Are you going to spend the luck and have that happen? Yeah, fuck yeah. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Awesome. I'm going to have you roll. Also use magic as part of this like big magic group effort. Sure. But we'll say Sledge gets a 12. No issue. Fuck yeah. Uh, I rolled a nine. Hey. Okay. You are just going to take some harm because the way I'd like you to help is with Brigid. And she says, as like Sledge is trying to blast this music or reverb or whatever the heck as loud as he can. And the whole forklift is surging and kind of rising up off the ground. And like parts of like the lug nuts are like floating off of it. Like he's like almost destabilizing. And Brigid says, He's pushing it too far. Get me in there to help him. Help me, Mom. All right. Whoosh. <laughs> you throw Brigid, and she slams into the forklift right next to where your hammer is landing, and just the two of you start to shift like multiple gears within the forklift at once. This just goes to show you're never too old to need your mother. That's true. <laughs> you can be a thousand-year-old hammer and still want help from your mom sometimes. But yeah, she, she shows up and she says, as she's like helping you to harness the power of your enchantment. You know, I might not like your partner, but I still like you, kid. Let's do this. Aww. Aww. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> you charge the, the power of this spell and it begins to drive the worm away. Pepper, you see as they've been spraying it down that like dark magic has been sort of coalescing into a small pool. Like you said before, it's tough to get rid of this. You're going to have to contain it somehow because right now it's sort of this bubbling, writhing, almost like the venom symbiote is also always depicted, you know, just this like black sort of grabby ichor. Mara McCoon runs up to you clutching her like little amulet and uh, she looks up at you and says, right, any ideas? I have a mason jar. I'll use some, uh, I'll have like a Sharpie or something. Sure. Uh, something that can write on glass or mm -hmm. on the lid. Uh, and I'll like do some uh, some protection seals. Mm -hmm. 
and then, uh, yeah, try to contain it, I guess. Yeah, okay. Go for it. Mara will be there to back you up. I appreciate that, because this probably isn't going to go super well for me. She'll actually, she'll go with her, like, amulet and kind of ward this thing towards you so that you can, like, catch it in the mason jar. Excellent. Very helpful. Seven. So. Do you want to use your luck? Yeah, I mean, I might as well. It's there. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll use my luck. It has not come up, but I remembered in the notes that you have, like, a staff with a little raven symbol carved at the top of it and a ruby gem in the eye. That's right. When you hold the mason jar out and, like, plant your staff in the ground to cast this spell, a dark curtain of feathers kind of appear at your shoulders in, like, a mantle shape. Ooh. And this, like, headdress of feathers sort of peeks out from underneath your witch's hat, these iridescent black feathers, and a sort of silhouetted figure of a being that listeners to my show will know as the Morrigan. Oh, yeah. Appears behind you, and the dark ichor takes on that form of Beelzebub, the hooded, long-necked thing with the many arms, (gasps) and ah, reaches forward, grasping violently to try and tear at the Morrigan's form and rip her apart, these two ancient enemies. But you activate the trapping spell and it is sucked into the mason jar and with Mara coming up behind with her glowing emblem, you snap and lock it closed. And now just this tiny little black bead is like pinging around inside, ever moving, but contained. And the glyphs that you wrote in Sharpie flash and lock this thing the way the other containers of it did before. Mara sees the like after image of the Morgan slowly fade away, the feathers dissipate and your staff stops glowing. And she says, that was right impressive. Where'd you learn to do magic like that? How aware am I of what just happened? You know about harnessing connections to spirits. I don't know that you've ever successfully done it to that degree before, but there's a reason your staff is the way it is. Okay, I'll look down at my staff and I'll say, I haven't ever learned how to do that before, really. So I think that was probably more more someone else than it was me. Mara nods, but looks thoughtfully at you and she says, well, if you ever need work outside the coffee shop, let me know. I always need work outside of a coffee shop. She hands you a card that says Mara McCoon, Eastie agent, with a little phone number you can call on it. And I'll hand her a card that says Pepper McKinney, freelance witch. Nice. <laughs> This is great. (laughs) Nobody ever wants me to work for them. Asa, you're able to remove Brigitte from the forklift. I think maybe the forklift is shot. Like it kind of falls apart once the magic of the, you know, sound attack is gone as the worm retreats. And so what's left in the rubble stellar is your friend Sledge, but now just a hammer amongst a bunch of junk parts that were like rusted and destroyed by the amount of magic being coursed through him. I think I'll walk over and pick up Sledge by the handle, something I haven't done in a very long time. And I'll look at you. I feel so exposed. Yeah, the world wasn't really like meant to see you like this. How do you feel about like a Mustang this time? Mustangs are knives. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so you're gonna put him in a car in this time? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Hear me out. There's the fire truck here. 
Put me in the fire oh truck. Oh my god. Put me in the fire truck. Fire truck. Fire truck. Oh my god. Yeah, no, that's perfect. We cut to days later where the firehouse has been rebranded the Shelterstone Emergency Response Department and rolling out to answer some call of a kitten stuck in a stone pillif because there are no trees down here. Uh, <laughs> but some some cat up on a pillar and you need to get him down in this red fire truck with no driver and Larry in the passenger seat and the other three dwarves hanging off the side, putting on their gear and no goats required anymore. Uh, you roll out as the new <laughs> emergency response vehicle of the town. Sledge, volunteer fireman. Yep, you relocate the license plate so it's on the fire truck now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Leaning out the window, Larry rings the bell. I love it. Asa, you finally get to teach Pepper a different card game. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was fucking thinking. You read my goddamn mind. What do you teach me? I teach Pepper a card game that I invented that makes absolutely no sense. Okay. Honestly, it's probably like Mal. Perfect. I was going to say Mal. I, I love it because as you were like, you know, setting down to play and you're like, I'm so excited you like this game. The coffee shop door ding, 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 opens up and we see this little old lady with like a little headscarf and a Patriots sweatshirt on and Crocs and like a little paisley skirt with a basket and a blue wood duck sitting in it. And she says, Deal me in! Margie Sensei. <laughs> As Nana Margie is here to <laughs> play a card game with you. I knew it had to be Nana Margie. Hey Margie, I uh, I got something for you actually. I give Nana Margie her uh, her weekly order of wheat gummies. Nice, yeah. Yeah, that's the payment you give her for your online magic courses. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, and that's where we'll end our session. Amazing. Thank you, Trials of the Apocalypse, for playing with us. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been more broken as a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> Good, then we've done our job. That's how we roll over here. That was truly insane. This is what we do. We've had years of experience, and now you've had a <laughs> taste of what David deals with on a regular basis. I didn't have a plan. I just didn't expect this to become a literal save the wildlife oil spill metaphor. <laughs> a literal ad for Procter & You Gamble. brought the setup. A literal ad for Dawn Dish Soap. Yeah. <laughs> Tell the people where they can find you on the internets. Uh, you can find us at... Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, where can they find us, Pat? Our Twitter handle <laughs> is... Uh, it's Toto Podcast, T-O-T-A Podcast. No, I've got it. I've you can find it. our podcast anywhere, podcast. No, no. Are sold or no, no. Wait, are, are available. We're I'm going to do it. I just don't get the chance to do it very often. Can we often. just put a link in the show notes? There'll be a link in the show notes. We'll see you next time, adventurers. Thank you for listening. Holy shit. This is my own trial of the apocalypse. <laughs> 